Movie Monday started with training videos, but we went through those pretty fast. Then we watched a medical video. Since then, it's been half-hour installments of various movies, with the exception of an episode of Entourage, which Michael made us watch six times. Entourage! Welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Be sure to check out The Contrarians on iTunes, where you can rate, review, and subscribe. We're also on SoundCloud, and don't forget about our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Be sure to keep up with the pretentious ramblings of Alex and Julio on Twitter, at JamesAlexMattis and at Ovnio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Time for the podcast. the contrarians where we're right and you're wrong julio happy new year happy new year finally it took us a little bit to get back to this because we had to gather the strength to get through a powerful movie like the one we just watched it's true we were originally supposed to have this out prior to new year's but i successfully continue to put it off now um again my name is alex joined always by my co-host julio um julio welcome to 2017 how's the new year treating you so far so far so good I, I have to admit, it didn't really start until after we watched this movie. It was I've been putting the beginning of the year on hold until we watched this movie. Because okay. to me, this is really what marks not just the beginning of 2017, the beginning of a new era for the contrarians. Because this is the kind of movie that I think makes us better friends. Well, we'll see about that. But we, we... We, share, we share dreams with this movie. <laughs> Continuing in our path of Hollywood, our walk down star power, the... The bright lights, show business, as it were. We are here today to visit, um, not going too far back, just going back about um, not even two years, but to 2015 for the Entourage film, obviously inspired by the show of the same name. That was, uh, there's so many Entourage movie uh, trivia that I can share with you in the second segment, in real talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but for now, let's just say that, uh, as mentioned during our player episode, there are so many parallels and things that happened in the Entourage movie that will make you think of the player, only Entourage does it so much better. It's true. It is an endless array of cameos. Um, so, much like the Entourage television show, we're immediately introduced to our cast of uh, characters, uh, the four main characters uh, being... So, would Vincent be the main character, or is this uh, E's movie? It might be. I think it depends on who you ask. Okay. Uh, the, you know, And I guess to put our across the table... You've never seen this show, no. and I've seen the first two and a half seasons of the show. Exactly. Uh, I'm assuming that all the critics that jumped into the fray to either trash or praise the movie had seen the show. Okay. I think if you're a critic and you're going to a movie that's a spin of a TV show, it's your responsibility as a critic to see what led to this movie. Okay. Or at the very least, you should offer a disclaimer saying, hey, just so you know, my opinion doesn't count because I didn't watch the show. This is uh, not a very well-received, critically, uh, movie. And uh, we have quotes galore, starting with Alex Leadbeater uh, from What Culture? 
and he calls the movie a roll call of cool but meaningless cameos which i think is how you could describe the player and somehow exactly. the player has like 90 something percent oh uh, it has vincent d'onofrio yeah <laughs> Uh, Helen O'Hara from GQ Magazine UK version says the glitzy surface has overtaken any meaning that the show might occasionally have snuck in. Uh, Christian M. Lynn from Fort Worth Weekly says Entourage doesn't satirize Tinseltown's vapid materialism. It embodies it. Jay Stone from Express.com says the Entourage movie, which has arrived approximately five years after anyone might care, is like binge watching a season of the old HBO show, but with more breasts. How is that a bad thing? <laughs> and finally, Craig D. Lindsay from Nashville Scene says the result is nearly two hours of the kind of alpha male self-indulgence I thought went out of style with Ed Hardy t-shirts and four loco drinks. Oh man. We're loco. We're really dating this movie as being not that old. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the cast of characters, Eric Murphy, played by Kevin Connolly, uh, Vincent Chase, the the cash cow, as it were, uh, played by uh, Adrian Grainer, uh, Johnny Drama Chase, who is Vincent's brother, played by Kevin Dillon, who is the real-life brother of... Matt Dillon. Thank you. And uh, Salvatore Turtle Asante, played by Jerry Ferrara, um, who the first thing I asked you was, did he used to be heavier? And I guess that's what I was just used to on the show. One of the awesome reasons uh, this movie is inspirational is because it allows you to see, okay, if Turtle could lose all that weight, then anybody can. And hook up with a smoking hot lady like Ronda Rousey. <laughs> and not just like smoking hot, but but just independent and powerful on her own right. Yes. I mean, I don't want to jump ahead of ourselves, but this movie, in a way, it's so hard. There's so many winners in the in, in this cast, but Ronda Rousey's little subplot of just, I'm an independent woman, and I will put these men in their place. That's one of the cooler things in it. So the movie starts off in Spain. Uh, we're on a yacht as Vince is having a, a big party, and this is something you had to fill me in. So the show ends with him getting married. Well, I told you I, that's what I thought. Okay. Because <laughs> I okay. never, I didn't make it to the end of the show. I not that's that's nothing to do with the quality of the show. It's just that at some point I just got busy. Gotcha. Uh, it, and and you know once it's not running because the show ended, then it's just like it's less of an urgency to mm -hmm. keep up with it. I started watching it on HBO Go, and then it just kind of like I got. Uh, you know what? What the key problem was with it that they split like like your beloved Sex and the City did once. They split season three in two halves, uh -huh. and that's kind of like a bullshit move. Yes. So I got to the end of the first half of season three, and then I'm like, okay, well, I'll get to the rest of it eventually, and mm -hmm. I still haven't. Still love the movie. So it starts off on a yacht, and what we were told that Vince's marriage lasted all of nine days. It was to be annulled. Um, and then basically this is what he was doing with his honeymoon was having this party with all these supermodels and, you know, swanky drinks and food and just a life that anyone watching would be envious of. Yes. Which I think sets the tone for the rest of the movie. Uh, just in case you were not familiar with the tone, because for some reason you did not watch the show at all. And these are buddies. These, this is a group of four friends who go way back and they just like to have fun. Mm -hmm. And they just like to have fun the way that you, the viewer, like to have fun. 
even if you may act like, oh, no, there's no way. These guys, it's too much. I would never bullshit. You would. If you were in their place, you would be all about hanging out with the supermodels and trying to have sex with every single girl you could have with and, and enjoy the, the money and sell out as much as possible. The really cool thing about it is that these guys, through all the crassness, they prove to be human beings mm -hmm. just the way you, the viewer, are as well. Yes. So. And that's very it's established very quickly in that opening scene. And Ari Gold, played by Jeremy Piven, who in many ways is the third most important character of this film, um, he gets in touch with his top client, which is Vincent. Um, you know, Mr. Chase and he have been together for, I think, 15 years is what he states. Yeah, that's what he said. He's his, he's his golden boy. But uh, Vincent lets him know, you know, when I'm ready to return, I'm ready to direct. And that's what launches us into our title credits, where... Uh, L.A. and Hollywood are overtaken in all the little hot spots that you know are used for the name billings of the, the actors involved. I guess if you've never seen the show, I don't know if you even know that the song that plays there is the song. This is the theme song of the show. Okay. Yeah. And the credits, uh, the opening credits of the show are different than what we see there. But it's still, it, it, it's, it throws you back to that. Well, I assume they just had to kind of you know, bring more to the table because this was a, a bigger. But I think it would have been interesting. I, I Honestly, I didn't remember uh, if they used the opening credits from the show or if they were doing something different because I would have gone with either yeah. um, because the whole point is like these guys they're they're still the same guys you know mm -hmm. they haven't been affected by fame maybe, maybe temporarily it affects them but usually every entourage story usually ends up being like oh but at the core they're still good friends and they will always yeah. be those guys from Brooklyn and so after the opening credits we go to eight months later where Piers Morgan is doing a feature on Hyde um, which is Vincent Chase's directorial debut, a modern retelling of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. We assume. Yeah. I mean, we never really get to see, much like most people in the movie itself, we never get to see the movie within the movie Hyde. We just we just get glimpses of I thought it. They I thought he said it was about Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Does he? I don't Mr. know. Mr. Jekyll and Dr. Hyde. I, I, uh, Gary Busey, in one of the many awesome cameos, he's talking about Jekyll. Where, yeah, he's yeah. talking about the original Jekyll and Hyde story okay. in... Okay, so that's where it was implanted. It's Gary Busey, though. Don't take him seriously. He that's could be true. talking about anything. That's very true. Um, so, But the infrastructure is kind of switched up a bit. Ari is no longer the agent. Ari is the head of the studio. Um, the agent now for Vincent is E, Eric, and then he's upgraded his other friend's turtle and his brother, Drama. Just they're, They do something, but... They're, they're, they have they're moral support. Yeah. That's the main thing. I, I really like uh, how even... It was cool because we were watching the movie, and you've never seen an episode, but you were asking me, hey, is this a reference to like something that happened in the show? And you were always right. you know. <laughs> and, and it's because the movie kind of – I think it's very inviting in the way that, okay, if you're not a, a guy that's watched the show, we will let you know. We have these little red flags that let you know, hey, don't feel like left out. This is just like a joke for the people that watch the TV show, but – we're letting you know that it's one of those jokes. Don't feel like, oh, you're going to have to catch up. Yeah. Right? So so they do uh, – I, I thought it was a very efficient way to reset the status quo because from what I understand, and I'm sure we'll get thousands of tweets and emails correcting me <laughs> if I'm wrong. I think that Ari retires at the end of the show. And, of course, the first thing that the movie does besides annulling uh, Vince's – marriage is bring Ari back into the fold and he's like okay I'm back but now I'm running a studio okay and uh, and then I guess Turtle now has money invented a line of tequila 
Yeah, there you yeah. go. He yeah, he partnered with Mark Cuban, I guess. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that's something that happened in the show or happened, you know, between the scenes, like it, between the end of the show and the beginning of the movie. But but I like that it, it basically it's exposition via Pierce Morgan, mm-hmm. and that's great. It's like five minutes of Pierce Morgan kind of like walking you through the show. If you never Here's watch the show, are. he's it, taking you by it, the hand. Yeah, and and then you get to like it's setting you up, the, setting the movie up. Mm-hmm. It, it goes through every major character and gives you a little description of them and where they are in their lives right now. So the movie is, you know, for all intents and purposes, hemorrhaging money because they need more. And there's a bit of panic that oversets, you know, where it's going to come from. And that's where Ari has to cut the interview off where Piers Morgan starts questioning about the the money and the financing and how the movie's doing. He says, I thought this was going to be a fluff piece. No, no. (laughs) Well, then why don't we turn those cameras off? Piers Morgan, always incisive. With the hard-hitting questions. Yep. Um, something we it becomes apparent right off the bat is Eric's girlfriend, uh, former girlfriend from the show, Sloane, is pregnant, uh, but he also has a new girl in town that he doesn't really care about too much. It's just, I think, like every other character that's not one of the main five guys, they're just disposable human beings. Yeah, but but I think it, it's a very honest representation of what it's like to be a movie star or to be part of the entourage of a movie star. You know, because you meet so many people, so many people that want something from you. And I I actually find it refreshing that this movie does not feel the need to be politically correct. And sometimes, sometimes there are people that are with you just for sex. And you are with them just for sex. And it's perfectly okay. There's this tendency in modern cinema to demonize one-night stands and, and the kind of behavior that E and everybody else in the entourage are engaging in mm-hmm. right now. You know, which is like, hey, we have money. We are popular. We hang out with a big movie star. People want to have sex with us. Well, there's nothing wrong with that as long as it's consensual. And, you know, when you first see E with this new female friend of his, they're having sex. They both seem to be pretty cool about it. Yeah. There is not – there's no – they're both having fun. Uh, really, the big bummer is that, that his his ex calls uh, – no, it's not his ex. It's Ari. Ari. Ari calls. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, relatable as hell. Yeah. So basically the first 20, 30 – minutes of the movie center around uh vince is setting up the first screening of his movie basically where he's at so far with hyde um and also the point that more money's needed re wasn't aware of this and so uh the mccredles mccredles i think it's mccredles because i kept thinking it sounded like mcgriddle mccredles uh are floating the bill for this movie um and you know ari's got to go out there to get more money from them right meanwhile this is all being set up for the screening at um turtle's house and they're all very impressed at his homestead. Um, uh, well, it's worth mentioning that the McGriddles are uh, are Texan. Oh yeah, They're, which us, you know, being uh, Texans. I mean, well, you're Texan, and I live in Texas. Mm-hmm. But I lived in Texas for so long that I, I would like to say I'm at least partially Texan. And just transplant. Seeing, yeah, <laughs> seeing uh, a representation of true Texans on the big screen and now on the small screens. We're watching the movie. Uh, on your TV, it was that was pretty exciting because again, going back to the the political correctness that has sort of infected movie making lately, you would think that uh, most filmmakers would just balk at the idea of oh well, you know, do we do we make them like cowboys and like really like Texan in the sense of the Texan stereotype, and mm-hmm. they it would end up not doing it. But no, here they cast Billy Bob Thornton as the dad and Haley Joel Osment as the son. And they are as taxing as you can get. There's a point where, like, 
Haley Joel Osment pulls out a gun and puts it on the desk. Yeah. Which is, that's Texas to me. I've yeah. lived in Texas for almost 15 years, so I know what I'm talking about. And Billy Bob Thornton, who is uh, Larson McGriddle, has uh, all his little cute catchphrases and you know just talks like a real texan would you exactly know? has he, a euphemism for everything yeah you would think that just because we live in austin we're a little removed from like what the real texans are like but no we're not because we we're still in the middle of it and Haley joel osman playing travis mcgreddle uh McGreddle, who is going to be sent on location to the screening because basically billy bob ain't playing no shit he wants to know where his money's going and he wants to see some return because he says he's invested a billion dollars into it and hasn't seen any come back. Um, and Ari, at this point, you know, is just in full salesman mode, telling him he's going to get everything back and it's going to be great. But he wants to go ahead and send Travis just to be safe. Um, meanwhile, while this is going on back in L.A., um, Ronda Rousey makes her first appearance in the film, of course, playing herself. And Turtle says that he met her at, was it Coachella? Yeah, I think. And that might have been... That might have been an episode of the show that I didn't see. I would <laughs> or, highly doubt it. Or or maybe it didn't. I don't know. I mean, it's that, that's the beauty of, of this mythology, that they can go in and out of stuff that's happened in the show along with stuff that's implied to have been you know going on or stuff mm-hmm. that never saw it, you never saw on the screen. But it's still, it makes sense. Of course, he would meet her at Coachella. But he says, you know, he felt a connection. So Vincent encourages him to follow her in a car. And eventually she pulls over and has like a, fucking riot baton that she pulls out and hits the car and says quit following me um she immediately recognizes vincent and then recognizes turtle but says didn't you used to be really fat and the gang has a good laugh yeah not just the gang but also anybody watching because it's like ah, ha, ha, yeah if you watch the show you're like yeah turtle used to be fat and if you didn't watch the show you get it because mm-hmm. you how many times have you just met somebody and you're like oh this, this person looks great and mm-hmm. then somebody else from their past comes and like fat shames them yeah that happens all the time so I, it was it was cool that the movie will just have a little gag there uh, because obviously the guy Ferrera, the guy playing Turtle, I mean I don't think that it was part of his 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 preparation for the role. This, you know I doubt that yeah. they said okay so this season Turtle's gonna lose weight. I think he just got tired of being fat and yeah. he lost weight and then they just wrote the story around it. Uh, but I, I really like Ronda Rousey's introduction. Because unlike you, Alex, I didn't know her before this movie. Okay. So I just assumed because they introduced her as Ronda Rousey, an MMA fighter, that I'm like, okay, so she must be an MMA fighter in mm-hmm. in real life. You you wouldn't know because she's just – I mean, she could have just been an actress playing an MMA fighter. She's She really – it's not like she stands out because she can't act. It's just it, – I think she fits. The, the What gives her away is that she has those badass moments where she shows – just more strength than the four guys combined. Like here, when she comes out with her baton or whatever mm-hmm. and starts banging on Vince's car, and you're like, okay, that's that. Has and she's to be riding it. solo too. They set her up as a strong female character. She, oh yeah, yeah. She's it's not like she needed any any backup to to face uh, these four guys. So we get to uh, Turtles' residence for the screening party. Uh, everyone's having to sign NDAs when they come through. Um, it's a big, it's a Hollywood party, and much like. Uh, this I really did have um, flashbacks to the player exactly. Yeah. In, instead of with the player, where I was just groaning at like, oh god, another cameo here. I was like marking out like Andrew Dice Clay's there. <laughs> they actually get Mark Cuban on screen. Um, it, I don't think that their their long tracking shot is a, as long as the opening of the player, but mm-hmm. it's up there, and I think it flows much more smoothly because I think that a party, a Hollywood party, is a much better place to use a, a long tracking shot than just. 
like the introduction to the studio, like they do in the player. Mike Tyson's there, doesn't even have a line. Nope, he laughs a couple of times, that, that's it. Yeah. Uh, the aforementioned Gary Busey is there. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, who else? Man, there's like so many, there's sports people that I didn't recognize. Yeah, that you apparently did. Rob Gronkowski was in uh, that <laughs> panning shot. I didn't even catch that. But Bob Saget. Bob Saget's there, classic. Um, but basically, you know, it's just a who's who of, of Hollywood and things get out of control pretty quickly i've never quite been to a movie screening like this um but drama sets up some kind of uh tonic water he puts like uh, viagra and molly and gives it to e who quickly takes a woman up to turtle's bedroom and beds her for the evening yeah she's not the woman that he was dating earlier in the movie earlier in the day earlier in the day yes uh, this will be important later but uh, i i think the whole point is that that girl actually called him uh, and told him that she was not coming to the screen because she was feeling weird about the fact that he still hangs out with his ex-girlfriend who's going to be the mother of his child. So so he's not breaking any rules. I, I, it's, I think it's important because E's big story arc in, this, in the movie is that he's still a nice guy. Yeah. It's just that he's put in very compromising positions. And Well, and here, too, you know, he's been drugged. Right, right. It's entirely out of his control. I mean... I mean you can't expect you can't put a normal guy in in that party and not expect him to be aroused. He's surrounded by beautiful women, and then if you drug him on top of that, then he's almost not responsible for his actions. And once again, it's all consensual. I mean, when uh, finally when we find out that he's having sex with this girl, she's uh, she's completely into it. Uh, you could argue she's the one taking advantage of him. Uh, Rhonda comes over. Turtle invites her over to the party. They're hitting it off right away. Uh, they comically stumble in on E and this girl having sex. Uh, they applaud for him. Yeah, Rhonda kicks the door down. Of course. Um, it's pretty awesome. Now, back on the lawn, they're waiting for it to get dark. Travis and Ari show up. And Ari's, you know, kind of scrambling to introduce this bumbling Texan to, you know, Vincent. And it's clear right away this kid doesn't really know what's up. And no, he's he's half starstruck, half trying to just play like he's he's a big money player mm-hmm. in town. Uh, he very significantly uh, significantly uh, notices Vince's friend at the time, some Emily, model, a Emily, supermodel. yeah, a supermodel. And he asks Vince if he's if he's hitting that, and yeah. Vince says, "No, we're just friends." And then he's like, "Well, can I hit that then?" <laughs> he sounds like a Texan. So they set up the screen, everything's good to go, but Vince gets cold feet. That's pretty much what happens here, is that he, he doesn't want to show his movie yet. Um, but he does have DVD screeners of it. He gives one to Ari and one to Travis, and basically says, you know, watch this for seeing what your investment is getting. Um, and then to appease the crowd, because yeah. there's like 500 people there to watch the movie. Fortunately for him, Pharrell happened to show up. And and just like uh, one of the characters are carryovers from the show one of the, I don't even remember his name but when they're like he Vince gets on stage and he's like well look guys Pharrell is here and he goes who the fuck is Pharrell <laughs> <laughs> and that was my reaction the first time I saw the movie <laughs> now I know it's the happy guy yeah exactly with the hat and he gets them to perform at the party there so all is saved we go back to Ari at home praying and he gets his DVD screener of this which you know I think he knows this movie's either going to make or break him. His wife catches him praying and, you know, says, I'll be waiting in bed. 
The big thing is the runtime is 140 minutes, and everyone's kind of awestruck by that. I don't blame them. I mean, come on. We've, we've talked about our preference for runtimes here plenty of times. And really, yeah. if, you're gonna, if you want me to sit through 140 minutes of something, it needs to be pretty awesome. So I can completely relate to the feelings of everybody involved in this, in this enterprise. Next morning, Vince is kind of a nervous wreck waiting to hear back from Ari. Um, drama prepares him a very nice breakfast and he lays out what it is and i believe it's you know uh eggs benedict and some type of fruit freshly and, squeezed juice and turtle has the awesome line of drama that's your favorite breakfast <laughs> and you know vince says I, I just i'm not hungry but they do get a text from ari it says you know go out front and they go out front to an amazing beautiful new car that had been purchased with a big bow on it so apparently he dug the flick yeah and he got a tricycle for e mm-hmm. also uh it's. I remember we mentioned it because this is pretty important to the plot. But uh, drama, who's basically this this has been of an actor, uh, which you know if you've seen the show, but you also you get that sense right after you start watching mm-hmm. the movie. But uh, he plays. He has a big role in the movie, uh, which is uh, you know he doesn't he have only much has screen four time. scenes. Right, four scenes were reminded, but they're pivotal. Mm-hmm. So that's another reason why he's so invested on how this goes. Yeah. Because if the movie does well, obviously that's going to help his career. And also the, on the path of drama throughout the film, um, something that you think is kind of a throwaway scene at the party is this girl that's kind of smitten with him. She remembers it. What was his famous movie? Uh, Viking quest. Okay. It's a TV show. Oh, TV show. Excuse me. She remembers him from that. So he be immediately is enamored with her. Um, and that'll come back and to bite him in the ass later on in the movie. Now, we've seen like a little bit of height now because when, when Ari sh- sat down, when Jeremy Piven sat down to uh, to finally, you know, he stopped praying. He said, okay, now I have to watch the 140 minutes. Yeah. We get about five minutes of height yeah. before we cut away from that. And I, Alex, I wanted to keep watching Hyde. I don't know about you. But I was I, pretty interested in that movie. Yes, I was also, I, w- I was so in. I even saw you. I was, I kept glancing at you throughout the entire thing because I've seen this movie before, but you haven't. And uh, and I saw you like sit up and like look forward. <laughs> I was like, yes, we all want to watch Hyde. It's, it, it's, it looked like a masterpiece of like a Zack Snyder meets yes, Marcus Nespel type of movie. This low motion was very Zack Snyder. I, yeah. I really, I wonder if. It would be such a wasted opportunity if the Blu-ray version of Entourage does not have at least 30 minutes worth of hide there. Because you know feature. they made it. Yeah. I mean, why not? Obviously, they had, like, all these cameos. Just like in the player, you're like, how much money do they have to just, like, get all these people over here for five minutes? At this point, it's fair to bring up one of the side plots of the film, which is Lloyd, Ari's former assistant, uh, is getting married to his boyfriend coming up. And he wants Ari to give him away at the wedding because his dad, you know, kind of disowned him after he came out. Um, it eventually pays off, but it's something that is an overriding thing throughout the movie. You kind of forget it and then it comes back. Yeah, I, I think it's it's part of it is just uh, one of the things that you could say, oh, it's just for the fans of the show. Because Lloyd was such a big part of the show that they're like, OK, we have to get him into the movie somehow. But it also speaks to a bigger thing that gets lost when people are criticizing Entourage, the show, and the movie, which mm-hmm. is how inclusive it is. Uh, people kind of get lost in the criticism of, oh, you know, it's horrible about women and, and all this stuff. But really, Lloyd is Asian and gay, mm-hmm. and he plays a big part, not just in the show, but in, in the movie. And, and Ari, he can come across as a very caustic, abrasive, horrible person. But his relation with Lloyd, even through all the insults, is very... 
it's very sweet in the end. Mm-hmm. And and Lloyd says it later in the movie where he just tells him basically Ari was the father that he never had after he came out. Uh, and there's uh, – and, you know, you have Ronda Rousey playing a strong, dependent woman. Mm-hmm. And, and you have, uh, uh, you know, Texans who are like their, their own <laughs> – their own minority on their own and and you have ari's uh assistant who's like you know this black dude and pharrell who's also black so there's also like you know all sorts of uh, uh it, it's, it's a not very... just all white dudes exactly you you would think so if you saw the poster but when you watch the movie there's actually a lot more to it so travis comes back after his viewing of the film and the main takeaway he had is that it needs some work and that drama needs to be taken out Right, which completely clashes with Ari's view because mm-hmm. Ari, Ari thinks it's a masterpiece. Yeah, he uh, they have a meeting in his office, and yeah, Ari is absolutely you know he thinks this is going to be it, the ticket that takes him to the top, and he doesn't really agree with Travis, and Travis is meeting him with full resistance. Yeah, Travis has a whole set of notes, and he holds the power because he's the son of the man with the money. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really appreciated getting that that little bit of... We didn't get enough of it in the player. Another reason why I didn't think the movie was as great as it could have been. Mm-hmm. But here, you, you get that peek behind the scenes of financing a movie and what it means for an artist to have to deal with somebody who has absolutely no artistic vision, but... Holds the power. That's right. Travis has notes that are taken on like a fucking Waffle House napkin. Yes. And and he also, there's like this wonderful moment where they just, you know, talk trash about Austin because Ari goes like, what are your qualifications for this? And he's like, well, I took a semester at the Austin PA Academy. (laughs) And it was like, ah, Austin. (laughs) And he said, my professors all said I had great taste. He's like, I can tell by the way you're dressed. So basically, the takeaway is Ari's going to discuss, you know, with Vincent what's going on. Uh, but Travis, at this point, is kind of putting his foot down and stating that no more money or editing is going to go through until you know the changes are made that he would like. Um, and then speaking of putting their foot down and standing their ground, Ronda Rousey pretty much dumps Turtle before their relationship begins in the next <laughs> scene. Uh, drama basically gets into Turtle's head that you know she's a marketing dream. And you could make a lot of money off of her by marketing her. And there's no way that she would be interested in him romantically. Mm-hmm. So obviously the only reason she's shown interest is because she wants him as a business partner. Yeah. So he just blows it. He he shows up to uh, – she sends an Uber for him, uh, which is which kind of – We'll date this movie 10, That's 15 exactly years That's exactly what now. I was thinking. It was like, you know, I love this movie, but that 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 little reference is going to date it. Uber is no longer in Austin anymore. How long until it's no longer anywhere anymore? Uh, but we find, you know, Turtles telling her to make this line of vodka and all this shit, but she had gone to the trouble of making dinner, and then she just turns him away, which is just a shame because that food's going to go to waste. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know she's not going to eat it. She's, like, fit. Yeah. Uh, but she once again proving that she is a woman that don't see, don't needs no man. She's like, you better uh, leave the f- before I. For the first time in her life, stands up to someone who's trying to exploit her to make money. So good for her. <laughs> there you go. This is like the Entourage movie helping everybody grow <laughs> together. We go from there to Eric and Sloan kind of recu- trying to recoup their relationship. Uh, they're on a walk. He. Uh, joins her after a Lamaze class, is that correct? He, yeah, he goes to Lamaze class okay. with her. and uh, it, I had it, stepped out to use the restroom. I, I, yeah, I remember I was like, oh my gosh, he's going to miss it. The <laughs> Rob Lowe, not Rob Lowe, Chad Lowe cameo. <laughs> um, but after Lamaze class, they're on a walk, and basically, you know, 
fortunately for me, a viewer like myself who hadn't watched the show, they kind of just bring me up to speed. They tell me <laughs> I don't need to watch the show. They tell me everything I need right. to know about their relationship. She's like, you slept with my stepmother. And he's like, well, you said you would forgive me. And then, and then that's it. And now we're here. And she basically, you know, says, you know, they agree to have sex as well. Right. Because she know. says, you know, just because I'm pregnant doesn't mean that I'm not horny. Actually, being pregnant makes me really horny. And Which that's actually a wonderful throwback to uh, another HBO classic, Sex in the City. Uh, really, not... who was who was pregnant and horny in that one? It was Miranda. Okay, yeah, <laughs> I've only seen the movies. But no, yeah, it was Miranda, and she was really horny, and she wanted to have sex with Steve, but she didn't think Steve would want to have sex with her because she was fat. And he's like, "I'll have sex with you because Steve's a nice guy." Except that he cheats on her, right, on the first movie. Yeah, those movies. Fuck Steve. <laughs> Fuck those movies. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of this bittersweet moment between them. Uh, Eric receives a call, or E. Is he known by E throughout He's the known series? By e, okay. S-E. And I guess you just call him Eric whenever you're, like, mad at him. Okay. When you're just disappointed at him. Yeah, oh, okay. Eric. So E receives a call from uh, his other girlfriend from early in the morning who explains that she's pregnant. Um, after hearing this, he hangs up the phone, or she states, no, you need to be here at this time or else you'll be hearing from my attorney. Right. They make like a date, yeah. a, a pregnancy date, I guess. But then after he hangs up the phone, Sloan tells him, you know, hey, I'm willing to give this another try. And man, the shame just washes over him. <laughs> yeah. This is like legit. I mean, I think that anybody, even if you don't like the movie and like the show, like this little like segment with with E!, where he, you know, suddenly, like, he gets hit with, like, hey, you know, your ex is about to have your kid, and then somebody else calls you and says, like, hey, I'm pregnant, too. Yeah. And then what happens over the next 10 minutes or so of the movie, that's, like, a man's worst nightmare. And the fact that the movie, like, Entourage, who's very, like, which is very fluffy and just, like, hey, let's hang out and have fun, uh, that it manages to tap into somebody's pure terror. Yeah. That's, that, I think that's very – it's worth pointing out. It's very commendable. But if this film has taught us anything by this point, it's that you need to have faith that things will work out in your favor. So, if you're, Yeah, you just have to keep being a good guy. If you're just a white dude, things are going to work out for you, so you just got to hang in there. Yeah, you, you just have to be willing to learn a lesson. Exactly. Maybe. <laughs> Throughout the movie, another, you know, Ari has a couple. He's the busiest man in this film. He <laughs> He's the ringmaster because, you know, between what he's dealing with with the film, with Travis, with Lloyd, he's also having issues with his wife, um, which aren't fully flushed out until we get this therapy session. Yep. And it's explained. Um, and returning, making a triumphant return to the podcast, Nora Dunn is the therapist. Sexual problems, just different problems that work just overtaking stress. his life. I mean, yeah. again, very relatable. Yeah. You, you get to a position like ours, and sometimes you don't even have to be that high of a position, but work will get in the way. You get stressed out, then your partner doesn't feel like you're doing enough mm-hmm. in the relationship, and uh, and that's what's happening here. He's just He's just letting work overtake his life and he gets a call during said therapy session basically about the proceedings of the film and travis putting a stop to everything and he actually punches out a framed picture in nora dunn's office relatable i think it should be like the tagline to this movie which is funny because you wouldn't think that a movie about movie stars would be relatable but and it really is jeremy piven's so solid in this because you can you feel his stress he conveys his emotions so well. Dude, I, I like let me tell you just like a tiny sidebar that is related to this, which is that I was driving here, you know, we'd said nine thirty and then I I texted I was like, Hey, ten o'clock because I'm watching this piece of shit movie. Uh turned out to be a piece of shit movie, Assassin's Creed. And uh and so I'm driving and I'm stuck between two people, you know, I'm it's, it's a two lane thing and I'm like stuck between two people that I'm going are going less than the 
the, the speed limit. Uh-huh. They're both going really slow. I can't oh, pass man. them. It's just like, and I'm like, fuck, I'm late for, uh, you know, the recording. Alex is going to think that I can't even text you because I'm driving, you know. And uh, and I'm getting stressed, and I was I was fucking Jeremy Piven punching that that photo. I was just so angry. I was like, move. <laughs> so, and that's him yeah. in his car when he's doing therapy later on in the movie. <laughs> yeah, that is. Yeah, he later answers on. the phone. What? But he has to get back to the studio because you know business is picking up. From the seriousness of things to kind of we we need to always this movie brings us back and makes us realize you know levity's here. You know, as serious and as in trouble as things may seem, you know, we're gonna have some fun too. And drama is Skyping with the girl, the aforementioned girl from the party that recognized him from Viking Quest. And she's taking her clothes off. And, you know, they're getting into it when her boyfriend comes home and catches what's going on. Yeah, a risk. Mm-hmm. I think a good warning for all those dramas out there <laughs> that uh, just drop their pants in front of their phone and think that that's not, uh, that's not dangerous. Uh, yeah, he gets caught with his pants down and then... Uh, the guy says, "I'm gonna find you. I'm gonna figure." It's pretty. It's pretty sad, but also very in tone with the series that he doesn't recognize drama. <laughs> yeah. I did find that to be the funniest part of that scene, uh, but that also ties in. You know, these problems tie in with you know his career crisis here because not only does uh, Vince eventually break the news to him that hey, you know, it's not you that he doesn't like about the film, but coupled in with that you know this is kind of skipping around but it's because all these storylines kind of intertwine with right. one another he's just going to a random audition um and by this point you know footage of him skype sexing has already been locked uh loaded onto the internet so you know he is in dire straits at this point yeah the guy the guy ends up not kicking his ass but instead uploading the old the I guess video footage. Just him cranking poolside at Vince's place. <laughs> yes, yeah. It's just he becomes basically. It goes viral. And he becomes laughing stock. Mm-hmm. He goes from not being known for anything to being known for uh, footage of him jerking off by the pool. And it is just the horrible bitch goddess that is show business, uh, because all he wants is to be known and attention, and then he everyone recognizes him but he hates it yeah it, it kind of took me like a little bit to uh to uh valley of dolls where you know it's just show business it shows that show business is not just gonna trash you if you're a woman it will happen to guys too and actually i, I think that's also going back to how refreshing this movie is it's kind of like become in poor taste to talk about guy issues you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. now it's just like, well, you know, white men, they get all the breaks. They never have any problems, blah, blah, blah. But no, I, I think the movie like Entourage, which is a movie that doesn't get made often, it shows you how difficult it can be to be a white guy, even if you are successful or somewhat successful or related to somebody that's successful. Mm-hmm. You still get – there are so many pitfalls uh, just – in life and suddenly now if you're a white guy you're not allowed to complain about them or to to say hey this hurts me too you know what i mean like drama is just like it's the kind of guy that he's not allowed to have a bad time in a movie because in theory the world works for him you know because he's not a minority he's not a woman but guess what? Him and his buddies, they all have a hard time it, it, during this movie and during the run of the show. Uh, and that's what I really like about it. You know, that Entourage is not afraid of showing vulnerability on four white straight men. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Yep. With every blessing comes every curse. During this time period, 
Travis literally locks himself in the editing room at the film studio and says he won't allow any outside, you know, interference. He wants to work with Ari directly. Um, Ari comes in, and during this time, producer Mark Wahlberg gets his cameo where yes. basically he says, you know, oh, you can't take your brother out of the movie. So Ari instructs the security on the lot to drag, kicking and screaming Travis away, which obviously causes a lot of hell. John Ellis, who's the absolute head honcho of the studio, he and Ari basically get into a throwdown about it. Ari tries to pull a power play where, he, you know, his secretary says, John Ellis says, get your ass to his office. And he says, tell him to get his ass to my office now. Segues way into one of my favorite sequences in the movie, which is both of them racing because Ari's not in his office at the time. Yeah. He's at a meeting. And so you keep cutting back and forth between Ari racing to his office and, and John Ellis racing to his office to Ari's office. And along the way, there's so many wonderful cameos. John Ellis is just kind of walking with purpose, whereas, you know, this is the the wacky adventure. It felt like a Super Nintendo game. Because <laughs> Ari is just kind of jumping from obstacle to obstacle, avoiding, you know, actors and actresses and he even meets Warren Buffett. Yeah, in, in, uh, halfway through his journey. Yeah, Jessica two, Alba. Two returns to the Contrarians podcast. Yes, David Spade returning from Black Sheep and Jessica Alba returning from Fantastic Four. Yes, out of those two, the more delightful, obviously, Jessica Alba because she gets to be and such a potty mouth, aged much more gracefully than David. Spade. Oh yeah, Spade's falling apart, <laughs> but but Jessica Alba, she looks like she just stepped out of the set of Fantastic Four, mm-hmm. but now she's it's like the R-rated version where she's just like fuck this and fuck that. Yeah, and, she she. Th- throws in quite a few obscenities to the point of being like oh my yeah but it's good because you know again this is a movie showing you different sides of what you thought you knew and mm-hmm. you thought that Jessica Alba was a goody two shoes that was just only doing PG PG-13 movies and a hard R mm-hmm. movie and and she's giving it her all it's a and she also is a lightning rod for artistic integrity because she's talking about she's doing this bullshit movie because she wants to do an actual passion project right in a, in a movie that's full of people that are just in show business but in a reprehensible way she's the one that's saying okay i'm making this zombie movie but only because you said you would green light my my passion project it's kind of a shame that we never find out what her passion project is but i have high hopes that entourage 2 would actually be about the shooting of the jessica alba passion project i was gonna say the eye but that was no it already happened yeah no, no, maybe the sequel to the eye the nose. So Ellis, after you know a bunch of basically a big pissing contest, tells Ari he's off the movie and to stay the fuck away from it. Um, this segues into E and Vince having to have you know their face to face with Travis. Oh wait, 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 no, no, no! But before the face to face with with Travis, E has to sort out his problems. Oh, I'm sorry, I thought that was the scene that followed, but yeah, he. No, it happens before because remember, like then E is uh, or uh, Vince is like, man, I've been calling you, and he's like, oh yeah, my phone was off. Did you notice? When they see E walking on the street, it's Turtle and Drama driving. They're like, is that E? Uh-huh. And they start shouting, it's E! It's E! Did you notice the building they were in front of? No. Is it the E! News building? Yeah, it was the E! Studio. Oh, I did not, but you know, I should have known better. This movie's that great. I, I'm a simple Texan. I don't know how these people live. And they say, <laughs> no one walks in L.A. And I walk a lot of places. So. Yeah, but we live in Austin. I mean, and Austin gets put down quite a bit. Yeah, this movie. <laughs> so we get what we deserve. Yeah, um, but you're you're correct. He does have a, a lunch date scheduled with uh, his his lady of the morning. And, yes, um, wrong place, wrong time for him. She he thinks she's pregnant, and then the uh, the other lady that he had hooked up with at uh, Turtle's well, he, house. Right. Well, he was on drugs. Yeah, 
shows up as well, and it leads to this very uncomfortable scenario that unfolds. Right. He has the two girls that he had sex with on the same day, uh, neither of which he's actually dating. And uh, one of them says that she's pregnant, and the other one says that uh, she has something, and she he should go get checked at the doctor. Again, like I said, a guy's worst nightmare. But the kind of thing that I think if you bring up in a movie – it's it's frowned upon as in like mm-hmm. well how dare you complain about this because you had sex with two gorgeous women and now well now you're just getting what you deserve but that's not what it's like I mean it's it's really that's still a tragedy and you I think you should be able you should be allowed to one fear this kind of scenario yeah. and two feel terrible when it happens <laughs> yeah and to his credit uh, Kevin Connolly in the scene is just playing the gambit of emotions yeah he sells it every single step because then of course the big punchline uh, because this is a comedy this is not a hardcore hard hitting drama no the, the punchline is that the two girls actually used to be roommates so they're just fucking with him exactly. to teach him a lesson and like I was saying the movie's taught you at this point you know have faith, because things will work out for you. <laughs> yes, things will work out for you. So that goes into uh, E, pretty much you know, with a new lease on life at this point, because yes. he thought it was all over. <laughs> e and Vince meeting with Travis, who uh, up until this point we haven't really acknowledged. Uh, Haley Joel Osment, you know, kind of out of left field, but you know, rocks the right. part here. I mean, when was the last time you saw him in a movie? It's been a while. Last time I remember seeing him in anything was uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, I didn't know he was there. I mean, I hadn't seen him in a movie since... Uh, artificial intelligence, you know, where he was still like a kid actor, and then he—I don't think that he trans—he didn't really transition into being a, a, a not kid actor, like a teenage actor. Mm-hmm. What's that movie? Lions for Rent? No, Secondhand Lions. Something. It's a lion movie, and okay. he's there, and that was like I think, from what I recall, that was the first Haley Joel Osment, not as a kid movie. He's a teenager or something, and I don't think. I don't think his career went off after that. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I guess it is, it's always sunny. I saw him in Tusk last year. Not a good... I didn't know he was in Tusk. Oh, he was. He, he has a big part in Tusk. Okay. Uh, He's probably been next to Jeremy Piven, the, the freshest breath of air. That is, <laughs> oh, yeah. But he explains, you know... Man, I don't like drama. And then he just tells Vince straight to his face he thinks he's terrible in it, too. Yeah. yeah. And the cracks are starting to show here. Something's up. It's not that he really dislikes this movie. It's, you know. And Ari realizes it, too, and he's bound to get to the bottom of it. Yeah, I, I think that this, yeah. I mean, going back to Hell Joel Osment as a performer, I think that says a lot. Because, you know, you knew him as a kid. Mm-hmm. Anybody, if you say Hell Joel Osment, what they're going to think of is the sixth sense and artificial intelligence. And they're like, oh, yeah, as a kid, you know, he was cute and he was like a good actor. He could like, I guess, follow the direction. Nominated for an Oscar. Yeah. So, uh, but then he shows up as an adult, not just an, a regular adult. He's playing a Texan. So he has a Texan accent, Texan attitude, and like the facial hair of like a man. Who's got two prostitutes in his hotel room just going <laughs> to town on each other. Yes. So it's it's really, as somebody, I don't know what it's like to experience this movie if you never knew about Haley Joel Osment. But if you've known him as a kid, this is a bit of a shock. Yeah. You have to readjust. It's like showgirls. Your... <laughs> right. Elizabeth Berkeley, you're yeah. like a Save by the Bell fan, and then you see her like licking a pole, and you're like, okay, I need to readjust I'm my I'm not so excited. <laughs> no. <laughs> so the same thing with, with – uh... With Ellie Jolosman, we were like, okay, I knew this kid. He's like the, the little like brother of your neighbor from 20 years ago. And now yeah. you see him and he's he's just like with the hookers in the hotel and the 
big beard and the attitude and so I don't know what it's like to watch this movie if you didn't know who Haley Joel Osment was. Yeah. But I think most people watching it know who he is and it's a very unsettling in a good way experience to watch him be such an asshole and such an insecure person and uh, such a negative force in the movie. Yeah, and I would agree with that. But it comes to light the next day when Vince explains, you know, I don't know why he doesn't like me and that it has to do with Emily, who we mentioned earlier, the supermodel. The supermodel. Because Haley Joel Osment, Travis put in a whole night with her, and then Vince just came over and banged her and kind of left. And... Right. They watched the movie. They watched Hyde together, mm-hmm. the screener. And then she just said goodnight, and he left. But he didn't really leave. He just stayed outside her house. And then Vince came over and had sex with her, spent the night there. Mm-hmm. And, and Travis... Like an Austin creep, <laughs> he just stayed there the whole night watching and built up a heavy resentment, and uh, obviously soured him on the whole Hyde experience here. You know, while they realize this, this is p- pretty much we're hard entering the third act. Everything's just downhill from here in a good way. I mean, the ball's rolling. So, um, Turtle gets noticed from Rhonda that if he wants to apologize, can come do it in person. Uh, he goes to her gym, um, which is very well lit. And has posters of Rhonda everywhere. And she's also joined by her crew. Uh, As an MMA fan, I would imagine this was one of your favorite scenes. Oh, it was wonderful. <laughs> she's there with the other four horsewomen, Jessamine Duke, uh, Marina Shafir, and Shayna Baszler. They're just kind of there as her backup. And she has a witty back and forth with Turtle. And basically the terms are they agree to a fight for him to you know say he's sorry and if he lasts 30 seconds, then she'll go on a date with him. Right, which I think that the, the people don't give enough credit to Entourage for, uh, for how romantic it can be when it gets down to that, when it goes down that alley. Because this is very, very sweet. Obviously, Turtle knows that he has absolutely no chance in a fight against Ronda Rousey. Mm-hmm. I, me, not even knowing MMA, not even knowing her as an MMA fighter, I can tell that she would like she kicked down a door earlier in the movie. Mm-hmm. She would just break him in half. But he still agrees to these terms where he has to survive 30 seconds with her love, in the ring. Love makes men do crazy things. Been there. So she immediately takes him down, gets him in her once signature move, the arm bar, um, has it cranked in, and you know they keep shouting the time, you know, fifteen seconds, ten seconds, um, and she says, you know, tap out or I'll break it, and he refuses to tap, so it snaps. She breaks it. Yeah. She, she's dude. That is like so much respect for Ronda Rousey for sticking to her guns there, <laughs> because obviously by the time you get to like twenty five seconds, you know that Turtle means it. Yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah, he's very much into you. You don't need to break his arm. No, but she breaks it anyway. Cause fuck it, she's an independent woman and she's gonna make a point here. Yeah, uh, back when she first started too, there was a couple times where she yanked other women's arms like right out. It was pretty intense. Remember, I think this. Uh, Sarah Kaufman was one of them that it just kind of snapped. This this means nothing to you right now, but I'm just kind of... I can sense the admiration, the awe coming from you, radiating, and it just informs uh, my view of the movie. Gotcha. At this point, I do believe Sloan goes into labor after... Because uh, we had mentioned this earlier, the um, drama video, the masturbation video, right. when it goes viral, that's what launches us into the last sequence of the like everything hitting the fan. Uh, she sees it and it sends her into labor. Right, he sees it, right, because he goes to an audition and mm-hmm. everybody at the audition is laughing at him. And he finally. And then out we why. do like this 
kind of just circling effect of different people. At different right. There, which, of course, didn't mean as much to you as it did to me. But, you know, a lot of people watching it, which you haven't seen in the movie at all, mm-hmm. they're like from past episodes of the show. Well, so, the person who uh, unveils it to us is a former Contrarian's favorite, Judy Greer, yes. Orlando Bloom's sister from <laughs> Elizabethtown. Yeah, she's there along with uh, Toby from the West Wing. And, uh, who's, who, I guess he's there as Toby from the West Wing because they yeah. throw a West Wing reference. Mr. Good really, Run. Yeah. <laughs> I really love that because I think <laughs> pop culture references are hit or miss mm-hmm. when it comes to movies. Sometimes they're just like, okay, you're trying too hard. But in this case, with Entourage, because it's so embedded in Hollywood culture, it would be actually really weird if they were not referencing constantly uh, Hollywood stuff. Yeah. So it makes perfect sense for them to keep throwing names, dropping names of celebrities left and right, and dropping names of movies left and right. And uh, so, of course, the guy that's, I guess, directing drama audition is the guy from the West Wing. And, of course, he's going to talk about the West Wing. Because how could you have him there without talking about the West Wing? Yeah. It, it just makes it all feel very real. And it's also very comforting. As a viewer, it could be very easy for you to be alienated by all this Hollywood culture you're not part of. But then they find the common ground on, like, okay, you're not part of Hollywood culture, but you watch a lot of Hollywood product. Yeah. So that makes you feel at ease with the rest of the stuff in the movie. And during the transition of all the people watching it, we do get our Tom Brady cameo where he's in his private jet watching it. Oh, that's right. That was Tom Brady. Yeah. Yeah. So this sends Sloane into labor. He's immediately to be there by her side. They're rushing to the emergency room. This baby's going to be delivered. All the while, Ari becomes aware of basically a stakeholders meeting with the studio that they're doing um, at, I believe it was John Ellis's home, correct? And so he just takes his chopper out there and fucking lands it on the front lawn. Like a motherfucking player. <laughs> that is going back to the things that this movie does that are not supposed to be cool, but they are cool. You know, Ari is the ultimate alpha male. Yeah. And and we just read on the on the quotes of negative reviews that they use the term alpha male as a put down for the movie. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with seeing an alpha male being a badass and just cheering for him. Mm -hmm. But of course, back to political correctness, that's made it wrong for us to cheer for a guy that's kind of an asshole, but it's also in the right. Ari is completely in the right in this case. And he flies a chopper and he lands it somewhere where he's not supposed to land it. And then John Ellis comes out. He's like, you're not supposed to land there. And he goes, well, guess what? I just did like a badass. And he goes up and basically lays everything on the line because Billy Bob Larson is there, uh, Larson McCreddle. Um, and he explains, you know, this is where Travis's problems are. And it's all because of this supermodel, Emily. And it's all where it stems from. Um, and Larson knows his son's an idiot. So he kicks him out of the meeting. Yeah, it kind of shows that Texans, they may be headstrong and they may be a little uh, uh, trigger happy, but they can listen to reason. And they know, yeah, they know what's right. And so he kicks him out and he says, you know, I don't need to see the movie. I'll agree to fund it, whatever you guys need. But I want Ari gone. And he has a solid reason for it. Probably the most solid reasoning for anything that's happened in this entire movie. Whereas he he says, I know my son's a fuck up. And if yours is as much as mine, I hope that people around you have enough common decency to treat him like he's not one. Yeah, it's really it it kind of comes out of left field because they've set up the Texans as the villains. Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't expect Billy Bob Thornton to really voice the the ultimate moral message of the movie, but he does. Yeah. And he's a hundred percent right. Uh, like I just said, Ari's kind of an asshole. And maybe if he had, if he was better at treating people, this whole thing could have been kept from escalating. But instead he just treated, uh, Haley Joel Osment like 
the piece of shit and and now he's lost his job because of that he actually he ends up resigning he was going to get fired but he ends up resigning um vincent gets word of this after the baby is born ryan murphy is the name of the baby um the whole crew's there to celebrate but he get, and Ari shows up right after they find out, and he explains, "I had to resign, or else they were going to fire me." They offered me a thirty million dollars severance package, um, but he declined it because he wanted equity in the film's earnings, and that's like the big risk, and they, they're not sure what's going to happen. Um, and that pretty much leads us into the finale of the film, where we're at the Golden Globes. Yeah, it, it's. Uh, I like that they went with the Golden Globes. Speaking of Selma Hayek, <laughs> I like that they, they they went with the Golden Globes instead of the Oscars. I think the Oscars have become a little too compromised over the past decade or so, where you can't really. It would be a little too controversial, or or at least the message wouldn't be clear enough if you had them be big winners at the Oscars. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like being big winners at the Oscars just means that you spend the most money at the marketing campaign. But the Golden Globes are kind of unbiased. And the Oscars work if you're trying to pull something off like to show how over the top unrealistic it is. Kind of like Tropic Thunder yes, where Ben Stiller exactly. wins. Exactly. Whereas this is like, you know, the Golden Globes are the ones that are grounded in reality. Yes, so. these are the ones that actually they reward talent mm-hmm. and 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 you need that. You need that validation because the whole thing the Golden Globes by now everybody's it's Everybody's won, but we need an end to the drama arc. Mm-hmm. And so drama needs to get a Golden Globe in order for this story to have a completely happy ending. And we find out, Hyde, that drama is nominated for Best Supporting Actor, and Matt Lauer reminds us he's only in four scenes. But also that it made $450 million worldwide, so Ari, I think, made the right decision on, on his end. Um, but the movie ends with... Uh, I didn't know Marky Mark had two cameos, but... Oh, yeah, that's right, because he's the presenter at the end. Yeah. He presents the Best Supporting Actor, Golden Globe, and Drama wins it. And, you know, you said this was kind of lost on me uh, because I hadn't watched the show, but the final line of the movie is him shouting, Victory. Right. Well, the final line before the end credit scene. But, yeah, yeah he, he goes, Victory! and Which was his catchphrase from... From Viking Quest. Okay. I'm um, 99% of that. 99% Which I really sure appreciate. Having not seen, you know, the show, I appreciate that they close the movie with a throwback. Or so you think. Right. Because then they, you get through the main credits, the main end credits, and then we go back to, the, I guess, the big post-Golden Globes party mm-hmm. going on at uh, Vinny's. Um, it's at Ari's. Oh, it's at Ari's. That's yeah. right. That's right. Cause it's, it's the it's, wedding. It's, it's Lloyd's a, wedding. It's Lloyd's wedding. And we see that Ari does walk Lloyd down the aisle. We get our last big cameo of the movie, and it's George Takei. <laughs> of course. Who is the priest at the gay wedding. And um, it's a fun little scene because it's a Jewish wedding. And uh, Debbie Mazar, who doesn't really have too big of a role in the movie, that's why we haven't mentioned her up until this point. But... Right. I mean, she's a, she's a big part of the show. She's mm-hmm. uh, I think she's up becoming drama's agent. That's why you see her in that last bit. Uh, but she says Jewish wedding, and he said, "Hey, my house, my God." And then uh, we get a big group photo together, and they tease, you know, maybe we could turn this story into a show. Yeah, and that's exactly what happened. So uh, it's an endless loop. I know. <laughs> yes. And. Like they should, it should have just ended. One of the writers of The Simpsons said, "Whenever the show ends, the very last episode should end with the beginning of the first episode." That would to be show amazing. That it's an endless loop. I actually, I think that the sequel, if it ever happens, Entourage Two is going to end with them saying, "Maybe we should make this into a movie," <laughs> and then, and then Entourage Three will end with them saying, "Maybe we should make this into a trilogy." And then, and so on forever and ever. After that, we get the actual theatrical release of Hyde. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which I will take. 
Um, now, before we get into a real talk, uh, we do have a special recorded message from uh, a contrarian's friend, former two-time guest of the show. Yes, so far. So far, and he'll be back for many more. But after this little brief uh, intermission, we'll be back to discuss real talk on the Entourage film. It will be just the same as Contrarian's Corner, trust Yes. Us. Hey, guys, this is... Your old friend Eddie here. I just wanted to say Happy New Year to Julio and Alex and to all of the many, many Contrarians listeners out there. And I, when I heard that they were doing the Entourage movie as part of their Hollywood uh, series, I just knew that I had to take some time out of my birthday to uh, to drop a, a couple minutes on, on Entourage, uh, the show, the movie, uh, the way of life, as it were. So I guess, you know, the question everybody wants to know when it comes to Entourage, The Contrarians, and Rotten Tomatoes is, where would I rate it? And I would say I would give it a perfect 50, uh, because this is the kind of movie, like the show was, that was basically impervious to, you know, to criticism. Uh, it sh- it certainly got plenty along the way. It gave Tina Fey a lot of fodder for some great jokes on 30 Rock. But the most important thing to remember is that even through all the mockery and the derision, Entourage somehow ran for almost 100 episodes and one feature film. Yeah, I think like most people, Entourage was, you know, definitely better early on uh, when the guys were underdogs. Once they became the Goliaths of the show, then Rooting for them to have uh, Miracle save them all the time uh, was a lot less entertaining. And, and the guys were just, you know, a lot of their, uh, you know, their more caddish behavior, their their less uh, flattering behavior was, was more charming coming from a, a scrappy underdog who just, you know, just didn't know better, was still trying to get out of that Queens Boulevard mentality, uh, not not living that, that Aquaman life. Uh, as for the movie itself, uh, the movie is... A perfect representation of what the show is, especially in its later stages. You know, I can't, I can't bash on it too hard because, uh, you know, I'm, I may be the only person walking the planet who's seen every episode of Entourage. So, uh, you know, I am certainly not above this sort of thing. Uh, no matter what Rotten Tomatoes and its scores will tell you, I don't know if anybody suffered more in the story's transition from, uh, you know, from. David to Goliath than E. Uh, he is such a scumbag now. Like all he does is uh, bed super hot women left and right, and then cry about something stupid. And then I try to act like he's you know he's this great guy. Why can't you know why why can't I just have that family life? And it's like well. Uh, because you're, you know, you're living the life of a Hollywood agent that you swore you were never going to become. You know, drama, he's always the same. Probably the most reliably funny character uh, to the extent that any of them were. Jeremy Piven, the Emmys rewarded him constantly. So I guess he was, he was kind of like the Big Bang Theory before that. or and, and I just mean something that was wildly popular amongst the people that were the, the tastemakers. Uh, despite usually much better options being available. Turtle went from just lazy stoner driver to somebody who is, you know, a more proactive businessman. His arc is actually probably the most, you know, satisfying of any of the characters because the performance is is fairly likable and Turtle really goes from from nothing to to kind of a hotshot while 
you know, not seeming to change too much for the worse. When watching Entourage, it's always important to remember that uh, the most important thing is that the guys have a good time, and if you are, you know, by proxy able to have a good time with them, then more power to you. The formula is they set their sights on a movie they want to make, and then you just follow them through the trials and tribulations, and then in the end, it magically works out. I, I don't even remember. Isn't this thing like a Frankenstein thing or something? Uh, I just know there was, you know, Vinny wanted to put Johnny in it, and Haley Joel was upset that even that because even though he was rich, uh, still being schlubby was not enough to get a supermodel to sleep with him or to stay with him or, or whatever the case was going to be. And it was like, it was like, bruh, you are not in the Entourage gang, so why would anything magically work out for you? You know, we got him and, and Billy Bob's hillbilly Texans. Uh, Billy Bob's much more seasoned, so it's it's kind of funny because you know he has supreme, you know, so much more talent than most of the people here in the movie. But also, uh, he cares, you know, for for whatever the gap between uh, everyone else's talent and his is, uh, the inverse holds true for how much they care about you know the effort they're putting into the Entourage movie. So it makes for a an interesting dichotomy. You know, one thing Entourage is uh, very well known for uh, is the cameos. Uh, you know, they just, sometimes they work people in for extended cameos, or it's just, you know, drive-bys. Uh, there's a really great story. I can't remember if it came from Vanity Fair or GQ or, or where, but Army Hammer uh, telling the story about how he came to be in the Entourage movie, and it was, you know, mostly due to the fact that at, at one point or another, he was neighbors with Jeremy Piven, and, uh, you know, somebody else they had lined up fell out I think so the day the day of or the day before they just called him and asked him to stop by and when he showed up and asked uh, if you know if he needed to go to wardrobe or get makeup they just told him no you're good just go you know that easy breezy laid back my mind said uh probably the the best way to compare it to the show is to call it a, a first draft idea which I would say most of the time whether it's the movie or the show it feels like somebody just you know, they brainstormed, had some ideas, and then drew straws, and whoever won slash lost, however you look at it, just sat in a room for an hour. I just banged out a script, and then, uh, you know, that was what they went with. And, you know, I say that with with slight mockery in my voice, but, you know, they're the ones uh, that made an insanely long-running show, especially by pay cable standards. So who who's the, the real schmuck here? You know, you show people entourage... 50%, what does this tell you? You find out, uh, you know, the people that look at, at that screenshot and say, Entourage is pretty good, or it's terrible. And then you can align yourself with the people that think it's good. Not because you agree with them, but because they are optimists. And in, this, in these dark times, we need more optimists. We need more Entourage movies just to say, yes, we can, and we will not be held down to, uh, by the oppressive forces, uh, be they presidential or critical. So uh, with that, I must get back to celebrating my birthday. So thank you all, uh, Julio, Alex. I continued success, and I can't wait until I make my return for a proper episode. Good night, everybody. Real talk, Alex Mattis. Let's, let's all right. do this. So we are here for the Entourage film, released June 3rd, 2015. Had a budget of an estimated $30 million, box office turn of 49.3. So 
didn't exactly set the world on fire. Um, directed by Doug Ellen, who was the show's creator, who also directed the 1996 classic Fat Beach with Coolio. Uh, <laughs> of course, produced by Mark Wahlberg. Um, there's a bit of discrepancy here. Julio found 32% on Rotten Tomatoes, whilst I found 33%. Really? On what? The Rotten Tomatoes website? I found it through the Wikipedia page, right? Oh, well, okay. Yeah. I, I guess Did you not... have it from the source directly? Exactly. Okay. Yes. You so pulled, I it, think... pulled them out of the ground, the tomato. <laughs> yes. I'm thinking what happened was that the Wikipedia page, maybe it was 33% at some point, and they're like, let's publish this page before it keeps getting lower. <laughs> All right. Well, I have... Uh, there Who are liked some... this movie? Yes. Uh, besides Eddie Strait. Besides Eddie Strait, uh, Oscar Uriel, or Uriel from Butaca Ancha. Let's go wide seat. White theater seat. Uh, it says, Entourage is the male fantasy of anyone who's ever dreamed of conquering Hollywood. Not wrong about that. No, that's absolutely <laughs> true. <laughs> that's 100% right. Uh, Suso Ira from Senza Cine says, A misogynistic, homophobic, miserable paraphrasing of Luis Buñuel's The Exterminating Angel in a good way. <laughs> All right. He's like, they're homophobic. I'm 100% behind that. <laughs> Uh, Francesca, Hashtag MAGA. <laughs> yes. Francesca Steele from The Spectator says, Entourage has always offered an insight into the inner workings of Hollywood in a way that's both vacuous and absurd, sometimes missing the mark, but also often uproariously funny, however inappropriate the jokes. The film is just the same. Uh, David Blossin from ABC News Radio says, This isn't a knock on the series, but it turns out Entourage the movie may also be the best episode of Entourage the TV show. Uh, Mary Asner from Phantom Tool Booth says, Vince has the killer smile, Turtle drives and looks at girls, E is quieter, and drama is all over the place. Just going along for the ride through Tinseltown and enjoying every minute. I think somebody has a crush on the t Entourage guys. Yeah. And finally, James Mottram from South China Morning Post. Uh, if you're a fan, it'll feel like a gathering of old friends. And if you're not, maybe start with a TV show. He's just saying, if you didn't like the movie, maybe you didn't watch the TV show and you should get on that. Do you agree, Alex Mattis, not having watched the show? Well, first I want to go down here, the list of people that returned to the Contrarians via uh, Entourage. <laughs> so, of course, we had Buddy Israel himself, Jeremy Piven returning. Uh, Debbie Mazar, Jane from Empire Records, um, Nora Dunn. I don't remember her character's name, but she was the reporter in Three Kings. Right. Uh, Jessica Alba, as we mentioned, former world heavyweight champion David Arquette has that brief cameo. He's back. Um, Gary Busey of Black Sheep. Oh, that's right. I forgot. Yeah. David Spade of Black Sheep. I'm ashamed to say Andrew Dice Clay has not been on the podcast prior to now. Uh, Common, who had the most badass scene in Smoke and Aces. Right. Who was he in this movie? Was he at the at the hospital or they, the... he's at the fucking gym and they just do this side swiping view of him. <laughs> Fuck's sake. <laughs> Has John Favre been anything we've watched? I don't think so. Okay. Judy Greer as we mentioned. This is like a big reunion party. Maria Menunos, I feel like she was in something we watched. Uh maybe I mean I know I see her every time I go to the theater because she does the <laughs> The pre-show. Liam Neeson, we had him. Uh, uh, A-Team. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Hannibal. A-Team, yeah. Do believe that's going to be it, but all to say, there's welcome back of, to yeah, all of you. Yes. There's a lot of famous people in this movie, much like with We've the We've had player. to have done something with Mark Wahlberg. Uh, well, yeah, Three Kings. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I told Julio 
all joking aside, I really enjoyed Sex and the City, the television show. I thought it was, I thought it was excellent. Um, I thought you were gonna say, "I'll joke you aside." I really enjoyed this movie. No, the reason I say that is because I hated the fucking Sex and the City movies with such a passion, and I turned to Julio and I told him the Entourage movie is exactly, having not seen a single episode of the near hundred episodes the show had, is exactly like the first Sex and the City movie in that you can tell when it's winking to its audience. Difference being, I bought this more than Sex and the City because... When, oh, wow. So that's a compliment. Yeah, because fucking when Sex and the City came out, it was after all the news broke about all the fucking contract disputes, how much they all really hated each other. And then, like, in the movie, you can tell they're acting as opposed to, like, on the show where it seems like they like each other. Here, if I can say one nice thing about the movie, it's that all their chemistry flows. Um, as I That's told- cool. I, I really, I am 100% like very, very curious about just like your take on the movie, the characters, because, you know, you've never seen this. So I, I really allow me, if you will, just go down with me down the main key elements of the Entourage movie slash Entourage TV show. Mm-hmm. I, I know at some point you turned to me and you said Jeremy Piven is really good in it. Yeah. So so you would you say Jeremy Piven is like the shining light in this movie? Uh, I really enjoyed just for the shits and gigs of the the role. I enjoyed Haley Joel Osment just because it was like him kind of. I haven't seen him do something of that much, like by effort. I mean, the things I've seen him have been very brief. I haven't seen him have like an entire role in a film. Um, as far as acting goes, yeah, I think Jeremy Piven is. He's great, and again, it's just the other characters, I found nothing likable about any of them. <laughs> um, it's just like I told you, it. this is something that I don't hate it. It's not like I was a mad like I was after we watched like fucking Paul Blart, or what was the other one? Christmas with the Cranks. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to not to pick on that one so much anymore. The, I think, I, I don't know if I told this on this podcast, but during the holiday season... I have friends that post Christmas movies they're watching, and anyone now that posts that, I I judge. <laughs> like, I'll never take their opinion seriously again. Uh, um, but yeah, I wasn't, like, upset. It's just like, this so, so you find offers the boys, nothing to me. You find the boys reprehensible? No, it's just... Because I kind of do. But, I mean, as I was watching the movie, and this is maybe the fourth or fifth time I've seen the movie... Why? Maybe more. No, 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 but you know, not that like I went out and like made an effort to go watch it. It's just like I would get home. I, I've I've said this on the podcast before. There was a time where it seemed like every time I turned HBO on, the Entourage movie was on. Okay. And then once you find it and it's on, you're like, all right, we'll just have it in the background. And I, I find it clearly just watch just judging from this screening i find it a lot funnier than you do yeah i mean <laughs> this is it's taken 37 episodes but i've finally been on the other side of the whole like you know when, like, rumble exactly raid rumble or uh uh what's the other uh black sheep you know where you just kept yeah. turning to me and was like isn't this funny and i'm like no this, this, this is the complete opposite <laughs> i just i stopped myself from laughing so many times uh while we're watching the movie because you want to be the only one laughing oh it will first off don't don't hold back <laughs> something's funny you gotta laugh at it yeah it's, it's just not, it's not as funny if you're not having fun though you know uh, it's like wow alex looks really miserable and that was fun in its own way but not oh, I, I wasn't work. i definitely wasn't miserable it's just like it's what i always perceived the show to be which is just mark Wahlberg, uh doug ellen and these dudes using money just to jack off on screen pretty much <laughs> like uh, which is fine and like it's the same type of thing where it's any other art form. Um, there's music, even like fucking. There's certain wrestlers that I watch that I don't 
it just what they do does not appeal to me and that doesn't mean that it can't appeal to someone else but this isn't something that i would judge someone for liking like uh, i mean eddie obviously yeah i mean it, there's oh, trust me there are things i judge eddie for liking but this isn't one of them um, <laughs> i think it's funny and it's worth mentioning that like i think we're halfway through the movie and you were asking me it's like how did eddie watch like <laughs> The, the entire series, like all eight seasons, and I just said, well, he didn't have kids back then. <laughs> That's true. You'll be surprised what you can do. I was unemployed for a stretch, and I got through the first six seasons of Modern Family in like a week. So um, it's not something we come across too often with these, because usually we have a pretty strong opinion one way or the other. It's just like... I could see where someone, because this is a fantasy movie, right? And I think that's something that. Although Doug Ellen, as I think we've mentioned it before, like Doug Ellen wouldn't agree with that. He says that it's a very realistic representation of a side of Hollywood. Okay. You know, he's like, yeah, you're. If, used his, to- if he's trying to say that Hollywood will choose white people over <laughs> others, then yes, he's correct. But it, go, go fuck yourself, Doug Ellen. <laughs> Go back to directing Fat Beach with Coolio. Like, <laughs> you know, he did that movie also. I, I, I saw his name in the credits because I also saw it uh, on cable not too long ago. It's a movie with uh, Jason Lee and uh, David Schwimmer. Oh, uh, or they're Kissing like, Fools. Yeah, yeah, yeah something yeah, like that. I, I think so, yeah. Fools Rush. No, the Fools Rush In is with Chandler. Fools maybe. Rush In is a great um, Gin Blossom <laughs> song. But no, that movie, yeah. Only Kissing Fools, whatever it's called. I remember seeing the summation for it one time and just dying laughing because it was like uh, Playboy commitophobe, <laughs> parentheses, David Schwimmer. That would seem to like break out of character. It's like, I am not Ross, goddammit. I am like someone else. Like, I'm Which, an complete sidebar, he did direct two great movies. Like I haven't seen either. You haven't uh, seen Run, Fat Boy, Run, or Trust? Nope. Yeah, I mean... Run, Fat Boy, Run is like uplifting and fun, whereas Trust is just a fucking beating. But they're both really good movies. It's basically David Schwimmer telling you, like, I have depth. I have layers. uh, Much like the Entourage movie. Yeah, to me, what I watch this as is a fantasy movie, but it's just none of that really appeals to me. Um, Not to say that anyone's bad in it. I get what you were explaining to me was when the show first started, you know, these guys weren't nearly as polished as they are now. That's like my recollection. It's been years. I think I watched the first season when I first moved to Austin. So that's like a long time ago. And uh, I remember like the first season being rough to get through. And then second season and third, what I saw of the third season were like a lot of fun. Uh, and then from what I understand, uh, it just it got not as good as it went on. But it, it, I agree with uh, what Eddie said on his message and what I've said before, you know, obviously, and which is like, if you like the show, you like the movie. If uh, if you didn't like the show, you found the show offensive, misogynistic, whatever, then the movie is going to be the same. And, and I think that there is something to those assertions. You know, I think that the people are saying, oh, well, there's the people that completely dismiss the criticisms of the show and the movie. Are, are a little bit in denial. I mean, yes. I was watching it right now, and I'm like, I understand that it's not it's your... It's insanely intent. misogynistic. I don't think that it's on purpose, you know? And they could say... It's not. It's just that the point of the view of the story is just it's a male's fantasy. Right. I mean, I, I actually wrote my first note was... No, my third note was locker room talk the movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just... And I, I was trying to find a way of, like, getting in Contrarian's Corner, but actually it, it applies more to real talk, which is, like, this is just a bunch of guys saying a lot of things, and I understand that the people behind it, they're like, well, that's how we talk. 
Yeah. You know, that's like this is it, this is just it's not hey, offensive. That's just how it is. How they talk in Hollywood, <laughs> right? But at the same time, it, it it's something. It's a little off-putting to me, and I can imagine how it's much more off-putting to like a lot of people when you hear these guys just judging women and talking about women like objects. And you can say, well, that's not the message that the the movie is endorsing. It's just that that's the characters. But but there's something there. You can't just ignore it. The most, you know hilariously misogynistic and also just backwards part of the movie is they build Rhonda and we can, I'll add three hours onto this podcast talking about Rhonda Rousey and my issues with her, but they build her as like the big dom. She's the celebrity the right? Movie, and she's the big dominant champion, which how'd that turn out for you? And then her last line of the movie is, if you last 60 seconds, I'll let you fuck me. And I was just like, <laughs> that is Ronda Rousey in a nutshell. Her entire push, her whole marketing thing, and you know, and how just daft and vacant and how bad of a person she is. It's easy for me to see something like that. Spend The whole movie spends this entire thing building her up as this strong, independent female character. And then at the end, of the, she's just another person the guys want to have sex with. It's, yeah, it's yeah. very funny. So, okay, so let's go back to the guys because we didn't get past Jeremy Piven. Okay. Uh, okay, so let's, let's go down like, you know, the, the, the posse. How do you feel about Vince? Uh, I, again, it's just I, I hadn't seen a single uh, – from start to finish, I hadn't seen an episode of the show. But – Two minutes into the movie, I could see what all the like the as, what the roles, the assignments were to all these guys and everything uh, like that. The only character whose story I really cared about at all was uh, Ease. You really did care about Ease. Is mm-hmm. that because if, because it was relatable? Like the whole like God, this could happen to me. Well, I've I, never had two girls pregnant at one time, but uh, well, me to either. My knowledge. But then it's like you know, to those of us that you know, I don't think I've ever been in that position where I could have had two girls pregnant at the same time. But but that's one of the things we. I wouldn't just, say it was relatable. It's like it. His seemed to be the only one that was grounded anywhere close to reality. <laughs> Vince has a problem of like, oh god, I need a hundred million dollars, and fucking, uh, you know, turtles dating Ronda Rousey and uh, Matt Dillon's brother is, you know, a washed up actor. But I think actually, I think his is the most powerful in the movie, at least. You know, because the fact that this is a guy that's like in his 40s and living under the shadow of his younger brother and still trying to make it. I mean, his character is the most cartoonish out of every all the ones there. But also his his arc of like this guy's nobody and he actually puts in good work in this movie and then he's about to get cut out of it. That was like to me the most appealing thing. Uh, e, I found him to be my favorite character during the show. Because in the show, it's more of like, oh, there's this guy from Brooklyn that knows nothing about the movie business trying to be a manager and constantly being talked down to by Ari and by everybody else. You know, Because it's like, oh, what do you know? It's not like you're like from L.A. And uh, But I agree with uh, with Eddie when he says that by the time that the movie rolls out and I guess by the time the show rolls out, he's just like one of them. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And what I will agree with Eddie as well um, – we talked about Haley Joel Osment, and most of what we talked about in the first part was legit, just our feelings on it. Uh, Billy Bob Thornton, Eddie is absolutely right, did not give a fuck about this movie. <laughs> but he, even him not giving a fuck, he's still a I'll better actor than. Oh, right, yeah. right, right. You know, he says, God damn it, like four or five times in the movie, and every God damn it I bought. Well, even the last line he was talking about, you know, well, if your son's as big of a fuck up, they're doing this slow pan in on him, and you're like, yes, <laughs> preach, Billy Bob. Oscar clip. Yeah. 
um, yeah, as far as the crew goes, you know, it, it, it just, again, it's, uh, what I've known about the show. Isn't there like a story arc where Vince can't find work, but then Martin Scorsese hires him. I think so. I didn't get that far. Yeah. I know that I think the last season or the season before that he gets into drugs and then, you know, mm-hmm. magically gets off drugs from what this is just from hearing what Eddie had to say about it, which is again, all of that's fine. It, it, and you know, that appeals to certain people. It's just like that. Um, and that's exactly what you're saying is right. People that dismiss the criticism are in denial, but at the same time you have to understand what you're criticizing. And it's just, to me, at least, I don't know. Fucking Ellen would argue it's just a male fantasy about being in Hollywood, right? It, it. I mean, I think there's a place for that. Uh, it's I 100 percent understand people that are not into it because they'll be like, you know, I'm a woman and I find this offensive. Yeah, yeah, hundred. Wait, but but I found it to be a guilty pleasure. I mean, there's a reason why I did keep watching whenever I saw it on HBO, mm-hmm. and I I, I, I didn't turn the channel there is i and it's not just jeremy piven's performance although that's a big part of it i i did find most of the things he says funny uh but there's like little bits here and there i like i said i like drama's arc and uh and there's that whole behind the scenes hollywood aspect i don't think it's extremely insightful about the makings of a movie but it gives you a little bit of it you know, the the definitely a different side than the player. Yes, I mean the player is a thousand times a movie. This movie is. Let's get that right. Okay. <laughs> Let's get that clear. You're out pretty of the way. convincing at certain parts of the. First oh no, no 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 no. the player is like a much better. But I think it's it's very interesting to see the parallels because there's definitely a kind of movie, the Hollywood movie, that is about the system, about Hollywood, and pulls in as many big names for cameos as possible and and even has you know obviously the arc the big story is the making of a movie and all the stuff uh and of course oh hollywood is corrupt in one way or another the player has much more interesting things to say mm-hmm. and, and well and this movie is just your standard hollywood fable i mean it's easy to nitpick at things but it is uh sloan during like her labor and everything makeup's perfect not the single hair is not right. out of place. Yeah, like yeah, every, yeah, yeah. everything's just kind of perfect Hollywood and everything's got a bow on it and stuff. And that's not wrong. And from my understanding, the show kind of conditions you to expect that from it. Right. Now, how do you feel about the sex scenes? Cause speaking of the player, you know, the player has that sex scene where it's just like all the faces, mm-hmm. <laughs> just the faces intimate <laughs> and, as fuck. Right. And, and also a big, like big moment. Cause that's when Tim Robbins confesses. Mm-hmm. Whereas like here we get, uh, I want to say like two sex scenes, right? The you first see? one with E, I don't know who it is or what it is, but they're playing a god-awful Nirvana cover in the background. <laughs> That's the first thing oh, I I think recognize. both times you see somebody have sex is E, because he has sex, yeah, with the girl that lies about being pregnant, and then he has sex when, uh, yeah, you, I mean, you know, Ronda Rousey walks in on them. Uh, and, and both times it's very, I'm not going to say super explicit, but, you know, you see, you see boobs, the, you the see... First- Female is like completely nude. Yeah, her like E. You don't see anything. Oh yeah, no. Yeah, both times you you don't see any of E because uh, you know why should we care about women? <laughs> Originally, according to Doug Ellen, was a the only interesting trivia bit I found was it the MPA originally get an NC seventeen rating. Really? Yeah. 
the fuck? They had to have him like fucking a dog or something. Yeah, I was gonna say. I guess the sex scenes had to be a bit more rough or something. Because like, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I feel like I, I hate to think I'm desensitized to those types of things, but right like, to me, I mean, it felt like I think it felt the first explicit for no reason. You know yeah, what I mean? the first one, especially with the uh, the blonde girl that is just completely naked, like on top of him. Yeah, I was just like, um, okay, like this is you could have done this scene without having her completely <laughs> naked, but yeah, I mean, I don't feel a certain way about it because that whole movie is that. But at the same time, I, I mean, I could. I guess see where someone gets upset. I, I find that more off-putting than um, what was that fucking thing everyone r- rose a big fuss about in uh, Star Trek Into Darkness. Oh fuck that! Yeah, uh, okay, like when she has to change or something. Yeah, and so look away when stuff like that. This will be my launching pad from this point on. Uh, when someone <laughs> complains about something like that, I'm like, yeah, well, in Entourage, they had this girl completely <laughs> naked for no reason. So, um. It, it, but it plays into the movie in terms of just the fantasy and the the setting that it's creating in the scenario. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you asked me, I think, again, we're halfway through the movie, and you turned to me and you asked me, it's like, what do you find appealing about this? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's not like I've spent, like, countless hours thinking about it, but I, I did war- wonder about it at some point. I mean, going back to I, I promised more talk about this in real talk during Contrarian's Corner, but, you know, as far as uh, uh, Entourage trivia, I walked out of uh, Tomorrowland, which is, you know, the George Clooney movie written by Damon Lindelof and directed by Brad Bird. Brad Bird, who directed The Incredibles and The Mm -hmm. Iron Giant and, I think, Ratatouille. Anyway, you you think, like, that's a great movie. But I was like, I gave it, like... Oh, is that the one, like, Save the Planet? Kind of, yeah. yeah. It's like hardcore. They're so heavy-handed with the whole like, hey, let's save the planet and whatever. And uh, so I gave it like 30, 40 minutes, and then I was just like, I'm done. And I walked out of that, and I walked into the Entourage movie because oh. I was like, you know what? This is not great cinema. This is not art. But I know what I'm getting into, and I know I'll have a good time. That's it, that's it, perfectly it, fair. Right. And and that's, you know, I, I already seen like the first 20 minutes or so of the movie. uh when we were playing it at the theater where I work and then, you know, I watched the rest of it there and I had like a pleasant time, certainly a much better time that I was having watching Tomorrowland. Mm -hmm. And so the question is like, okay, it's not great. No. So why would you watch it? Why why not just go home, you know, or why not just change the channel to something else when you get home and it's playing on HBO. And like I said, I find Piven funny. I find the behind the scenes kind of Hollywood stuff interesting i buy their chemistry as a group which kept yeah. me i eventually i was like well i want to see this story to completion yeah i think that you know you can't just do eight years of a tv show without without developing some sort of report you know and i think that that comes through beyond the acting i think that you can see okay these characters and these people have a story a history and and I'm kind of curious to see where it, where it goes. You know, mm-hmm. I, I enjoy seeing the lived-in performances, and uh, I, I mean, I do find it funnier than you do. Like, there's a lot of things, uh, little things that we both agreed, and Eddie straight set the table for us. the The part we both laughed at the hardest was the Army Hammer cameo. Yes, the Army Hammer cameo. It's just it's funny because it's Army Hammer. It's funny because you know if you know that 
he's just so intimidating. Up. Right. And then, you know, his final line, like, you enjoy your salads. It's yeah. just, like, it's great. And they mentioned him earlier, and they mentioned that he was in The Lone Ranger, which mm-hmm. is a terrible movie. It, it, it's just funny, you know? Uh, which I, I, after 30 seconds of silence, went, oh, he was in The Lone Ranger. <laughs> he was the Lone Ranger. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, it's really, I don't know. It. Uh, I mean, I'm gonna call it like a guilty pleasure because I wouldn't go to bat for this movie. As, mm-hmm. You know, if anybody like start criticizing, I'd be like, yeah. But I think the same reason why I watch the show when I watch the show is like it made me laugh enough, and it's not like it, it was making me think or anything, you know. And and I I might find some things reprehensible about it, but it's not enough to. I think they're. I'm not gonna say harmless and reprehensible, but not intentionally reprehensible. You know, uh, well, and also the main thing is what you need to understand, even uh, again, admittedly, I've never seen an episode start to finish of the show, but you can tell that it's not these characters don't know better. That's the main thing. Like, right. They don't know any better. I mean, okay. so if your argument is that, listen, my show is not misogynistic. It's about misogynistic people. That is a valid argument, mm-hmm. and I will. I mean, I've used it to defend other movies, but in this case, I think that they have a little bit too much fun. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like the show, kind of like it's a little bit too much in awe of its characters to really kind of criticize their their behavior. And yeah, these four guys—they're good guys in the end. Yeah, and, 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 like and, locker room talking all that. They don't know any better. Yeah, where right. the blame you, with that would lay on would be with fucking Ellen. And, right, you know. right. And, and you could argue, you know, well, every girl that gets in with these guys, they know what they're getting into, and it's not like they never. And that's like, just you digging your hole deeper and deeper <laughs> and deeper. <laughs> yeah, uh, it is tricky in today's climate. I mean, I, I would not defend. <laughs> well, you know, it's refreshing to see a movie where it just shows that it's cool to be a white dude. <laughs> But there's like, dude, if you ever have the time, you should look up YouTube clips of interviews with the cast after the show, after the movie premiered, uh-huh. and how they either engage or deflect the accusations of misogyny. Because it's just so uncomfortable to watch, but also just kind of enlightening because mm-hmm. it makes you wonder. I'm like, okay, are they really, do they really believe what they're saying? We're just like, I don't say, I don't say what you're talking about. You know, I don't see any of this. Or is it just part of the PR machine where they just well what what else can they do but deny the fact that yeah. the movie is misogynistic? It, I mean, misogynistic is a huge word. It's a very it's very condemning it's, as a term. It's also it's a, uh, a big blanket. It can mean a lot. Of right, right, right. I mean, here, what do you see? You see guys objectifying women, which is bad, and and that's kind of about it. Abusing their storyline is. He thinks his life's over, but it turns out it's okay just because women are crazy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could you could be a little more generous with it and say that, hey, they they were not crazy. They were actually wiser than him because they were trying to teach him a lesson, and he learns the lesson, and he goes back to his ex, and he's like, now I'm ready to settle down and just be a parent. But, but overall, you know, the whole depiction – I mean, okay, let's look at, like – Strong female characters in the movie. Are there any? Ronda Rousey. Ronda Rousey, but you know, like you said, she ends up dating Turtle, and I understand this is not what the show is about, but a much more interesting character would have just not dated Turtle and be like, okay, I get it, but you know what? I I really, I thought about it, I don't really want to do this. You know, Uh, the model. That's what she should have said before she fought Amanda Nunes last (laughs) week. (laughs) 
the model, the model that that Vincent is dating by the end of the movie, and who ends up being the crux of the movie. You know, the person that created this this whole. She's not even in the entire second half of the movie, right? She's just like she's a prop. Yeah, you know, and and you could say the same. I mean, okay, so E's ex and uh, his baby's mama. uh, She's kind of i mean she's kind of a character but not really i mean i i think it's interesting the idea of this woman that decides to give his ex her ex a second chance and then he blows it but then she just kind of gets over it you know and and maybe there's there's something lost if you haven't watched a few seasons of the show that i haven't seen and you yeah. know, there's more to her character but but it's still overall you know you have what like the the woman that's supposed to succeed Ari when he gets fired, you know, the, his assistant or his second in command. I mean, she doesn't really get much to say. And then there's uh, uh, the Empire Records lady. Debbie Mazar. Yeah, who's drama's agent. She doesn't really get much to do either. I mean, overall, this is like a male movie coming from well, What about all show. the chicks in bikinis that are dancing real slutty? At the, <laughs> right. You know. That's, you know... Uh, that's I don't know. It's it's hard because you know we're guys. So how would you feel as a guy if you were watching a movie like reverse the genders in this movie, reverse them to where like all the guys are women and all the women are guys? Would it make you feel uncomfortable? And the odds are that probably not. You just feel kind of a little weird, but not. Mm. But that's because you know as a white guy, you're on top of the world. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> there's not really much that can make you uncomfortable, but. Maybe sad but true. <laughs> yeah, if you're a woman, maybe the last thing you need to see is like these four kind of douchey guys that have a lot of success behind them, just, just treating women like the shit out of them. <laughs> exactly. So, so maybe we're okay, Doug Ellen, and you don't need to make an entourage. To... <laughs> maybe we're done with it. You made your point, and uh, and it's time to move on. This the ending of this movie is. It seems like it's a good ending for the whole thing. So, you know, just... And I mean, film adaptations of TV shows are a fucking tricky, tricky monster in and of themselves. So, for what I understand about the show and what I saw here, I think it about as good as you're going to, and there's no need to relight that fire. Yeah, yeah, I think... I mean, when it it came out, I was surprised that it was happening, you know? With Eddie liking it, I... Um, it makes it apparent to me that unlike Sex in the City, it didn't betray its audience in the last two episodes of the television <laughs> show and then beat the audience to death over the head with a tack hammer with the movie. So, uh, Yeah, I yeah, I wouldn't know. I think, I mean, Eddie said that he gives it a 50, and that sounds kind of like what I would give it just from having watched two and a half seasons. You know, His justification is perfect, too, because you know, I don't think he would defend this like he would. You know, what's a movie that he really likes? Interstellar. Right. He wouldn't say it's like a good movie like that, but he would acknowledge it. it, it like, that's a prime example of like a score I'd give like fucking Ready to Rumble. Like, I know how <laughs> stupid, misogynistic, fucking insulting it is, but. I think the the difference is that Ready to Rumble it, and Entourage, I mean, Entourage, the show slash the movie, even with the movie not really being, not setting the box office on fire, it's still more successful than Rain to Rumble. So Rain to Rumble, it doesn't matter how bad. <laughs> no, I'm saying Rain to Rumble, I mean, it's, it's like you know about it, and now I know about it because I know you, but it's not like okay, it, it, yeah. it, it's even, it, it doesn't matter how offensive it is because nobody gives a shit. But Entourage, it was a big enough TV a show, thing, yeah. and, and, you know, the movie 
it made enough of, of a splash, even if nobody went to see it. You know, it, it was still kind of like, well, why are you putting this on the big screen? I guess my point just being, I understand his rationale for putting it at fifty. So, right. Yeah. 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 I agree too. Um. Yeah. What's a What's a TV show that ended perfectly on the air? What's one that comes to mind for you? Uh, Six Feet Under, my favorite show of all time. That was HBO, also, right? Uh, yes, that was okay. HBO. They did not feel the need to like throw out a movie. Well, how could you do it? I mean, I'm not going to spoil it for you because I think that everybody should watch Six Feet Under at some point in their lives. Uh, so I'm not going to spoil the ending for you. But that's the kind of ending where, like, well, what would you do with a movie? <laughs> There's yeah. just nothing for you to do. Uh, Eastbound ended perfectly. Okay, but okay, twice. I was about to say, yeah. so Eastbound ends at the end of the third season, and then they come with a fourth season, which might as well has been a movie. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. they they went past their ending, and it still worked. Yeah, shockingly. Because I thought the, the first ending was just absolutely fantastic. And, like, there's... Have you watched the fourth season? No, I haven't watched the fourth okay, season. I've seen so, the first three, courtesy of you. Kind of like we were talking about that, like, the, the proposed Simpsons thing of the never-ending circle. That kind of comes into play, but... So that worked. Um, did you like the ending of Sopranos? Did you ever watch Sopranos all the way through? I haven't. I've read. I don't think that there's anybody alive that doesn't know how the end, how the ending of the Sopranos went, because everybody just had to talk about it. And it was the last thing I set the timer on my VCR to record. Holy shit! You were watching the Sopranos in real time. Yeah, and that would have been like '06. I haven't seen a single episode of the Sopranos. Yeah. Um, so. Might have been a bit later than oh six oh seven, but yeah, I remember watching it on VHS like the next morning and be like, "The fuck!" <laughs> so okay, so you were one of those people that were like angry at the. I ending? wasn't angry, like well, at the time it was because I was a fucking twenty year old kid. <laughs> it's just you know, uh, I was thankful though because I was in college and that brought back "Don't Stop Believing." Like that was the big <laughs> song from that point forward. But uh, now I think it's pretty perfect. Um, King of the Hill is another one. I don't know how much King of the Hill you've watched, but that show ended pretty perfectly. Uh, the Wonder Years is a big one. That uh, I don't know if it's still on Netflix, but it was. I was pretty excited when it got on Netflix, and of course, I haven't seen a single episode of it since it got on Netflix. <laughs> but uh, I watched it when I was growing up, and the ending is just perfect. I mean, you couldn't. You would just ruin it if you added more to it. It's when you hear his son playing in the background, right? Right, right. Yeah. He's talking in the background. He's doing the narration, but it also he just basically tells you how it all ends, and it's not all happy. Some of it is sad. You yeah, know, you know his dad passes away and everything. But you know, it was Daniel Stern, right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay, I didn't know at the time that blew my mind when, when I you found, found that out. out. Yeah. yeah, I, I, I actually I don't know if I've ever heard an English version of the Wonder Years. I watched it all in Spanish, mm-hmm. and but I did know I recognized the name Daniel Stern from Home Alone. So Marv. I was like, oh, that's cool. That's like the same guy. Yeah. yeah, and then um, Apatow somehow on both his canceled shows nailed the ending. The yeah, ending. you've watched Freaks and Geeks. Freaks but and not Geeks undeclared. is not, not undeclared, right? Well, much like Freaks and Geeks, undeclared ends perfectly in that you don't have to ever see another episode again, but you want to. Right. So, yeah. Right. Um, but that was a sidebar on that end. Uh, well, not necessarily because you know we're talking about TV shows, and it's like, and you brought up Sex and the City. So, would you say Sex and the City ended where it needed to be, or I? <laughs> oh, you hate just said it two last so episodes. <laughs> how that show ended? I have a friend who, because I recommended it, she went back and just binged the show in like three weeks, and a lot of that I was rewatching with her, and I, like, it's, it's so good. And then, like, the closer we were getting, 
I was like, no, no, <laughs> no. And then the last two episodes just like piss on your face. Like it's just fucking awful. And did completely, absolutely. Like there's not a sidebar. This is like another planet bar. But you just piss on your face and like, have you gotten on Twitter lately? Because I was off Twitter for like a day, and then I got back, and there's like all this shit about golden showers and Trump. Have you? Yeah, I don't. <laughs> Okay, we can bring it back, but I just wanted to acknowledge that because no, I don't. It, um, a lot of people have been asking me about stuff with Trump, and is the extent of my talking about Trump is probably going to be on this podcast for the next four years. <laughs> it's it's not fun. It's not funny anymore. It's dude, you have to do something. With, you know, four years we have to do. We have to find a way to deal with it. This, we're just all going to be running in place for four years. <laughs> Nothing's going to happen. Fucking, I, I mean, nothing good. Uh, <laughs> Well, don't worry. We'll defund Planned Parenthood. And... <laughs> I will. I will. I'm saving some of the stuff that I need to say. I'll. I'll save it for our plugs. Okay. Well, anyway, yeah. No, Sex and the City ended terribly. Um. So it, it's a it's a fine line to walk as far as TV adaptations. I've seen it in movies. It's certainly not the worst. Right. So. I mean, like, I mean, Community. You know, they 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 made it to six seasons. The sixth season aired on Yahoo TV or whatever it counts. I heard it wasn't that good. I haven't seen it. Eddie swears by it. Really? But of course, he also swears by Entourage at least fifty percent. So who knows? Well, uh, I, I will say this. I mean, by the time they get to six season, they have like half the cast that they did before. You know, it's like Donald Glover's not in it. Chevy Chase is not in it. Uh, I think the lady that plays Shirley is not in it anymore. Uh, so it's like, what's the point of keep? You know, why do you keep going? One and, of the most celebrated shows of the past twenty years, The Office, overstayed its welcome by fucking two and a half seasons. <laughs> Th that is correct. <laughs> I cannot argue with that. We may disagree where the show should have ended, but uh, yeah, it, the, it overstayed its welcome. The Andy years are not are not good. But yeah, okay. So let's say Entourage two comes out next year. Would you watch it? No. Would you be opposed to watching it if I brought it? Well, it depends. One, are we doing a podcast? <laughs> two. <laughs> I, I, How I, much I beer know. do we have? Yeah, available? exactly. No, again, I'm not mad. I don't hate it. I don't ever want to like not talk about it again. It's just like it, it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, I have to be. And the main thing is, I I feel like a winner because I got this. I put this off for two years, and you know, <laughs> uh, or um, excuse me, a year and a half because it's pretty much been you know. You've wanted to watch this for quite some time. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm glad I was here to watch it with you. It it, it made it. So much better, but uh, I mean, I have to be honest with my nature. If Entourage two came out, I would watch it. I would watch it in theaters. Uh, I mean, luckily because my job, I get to watch them for free. But you know, I wouldn't pay for it. Yeah. But uh, but I would I would give it my you know two hours of my life to watch it. And uh, if it was as good slash bad as this last one, I'll be okay with it. <laughs> you know, I'll be like, hey, you know, I can't really complain because I knew what I was getting into. Which I guess goes back to my whole thing. If you watch the Entourage show and you watch all eight seasons of it, you you have no right to complain about yeah. the movie because it's exactly the same thing. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, if you were angry about the Entourage show, why waste your breath complaining about the movie? You already complained about the TV show probably. Mm -hmm. So, eh. Yeah. So that was part two of our show business series. Uh, episode number 37. Uh, seven. So episode thirty-eight will be Woody Allen's Bullets Over Broadway. Oh God, another which, another good stuff. Which will be exciting uh, for Have this. You, oh yeah, yeah. You like uh, uh, Midnight in Paris? Yes, you've seen a Woody Allen movie. I love Midnight in Paris. What was the one he did with Jesse Eisenberg and Ellen Page a few years ago? 
to Rome with Love or with from Rome with Love. I, don't yeah. know. I like it too. Yeah, I enjoyed it. But yeah, so for this episode, I want to thank Eddie Strait for phoning in a bit of. This sounds bad. When people phone something in, it sounds like no. He literally trying. phoned it in. Yeah, he literally okay. like yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it was it's funny because you know we we've been trying to like we knew that we were gonna do something like this, but mm-hmm. we were not expecting a thirteen minute epic <laughs> uh, audio file. Which I mean, I don't know how many minutes it is after you edit it, but you know that's still yeah. that was kudos for commitment because he did it on his birthday. Yeah, <laughs> and we appreciate it. Happy yeah. belated birthday! Happy belated New Year to listeners. And uh, I don't think we have anything else before plugs. But um, uh, no, I have a couple of comments. Uh, my friend uh, Hans Ruth Gieser, who has that that Nacion Combi podcast in Peru. Okay. Uh, combination. Uh, he mentioned because you know when we did Black Sheep, one of the quotes that we read was talking about it like it was a horror movie. Mm-hmm. And then he pointed out he made me realize that there is a horror movie called Black Sheep. Oh yeah, I thought you knew that when you were reading that. I did not know oh, that. Okay. So now it makes a little more sense with horror. I mean, it's still it's still a mistake. Run tomatoes yeah, still put it in the wrong place. I was like in character while you read it, so like that's why I went along with it. But, no, it was hilarious. Yeah, I did not know there was a horror movie called okay. Black Sheep, but yeah, he pointed out, and now I'm like, okay, well now that's even better. <laughs> also, Eddie mentioned that uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. At first, he told me that he thought that PTA had done second unit shoots in uh, Pretty Home Companion, which was you know Robert Allman's last movie. We were talking about Robert Allman on our episode for the player. Uh, but then he he double checked and he's like, okay, no, he was just involved, but he was not actually a second unit director. But that it still makes so much sense because PTA is all about you know sprawling casts and plot yeah. lines, and Alton was a lot about that. Um, but anyway, do you have any plugs? I have a couple. First off, if you haven't, go back and watch Ronda Rousey versus Amanda Nunez from UFC 207. It was wonderful. If you were not a Ronda Rousey fan. I oh, guess. yes. I'm sorry. If you like Ronda Rousey, you probably shouldn't go back and watch that. Don't worry. It's only going to take about a minute, though. Uh, no, I have a couple of genuine plugs. Uh, number one, uh, this past week, I watched a documentary uh, called Supersonic on the band Oasis. Are you familiar with Oasis? I'm familiar with Oasis, not with Supersonic. Uh, Dude, I don't know. I mean, uh, our age difference is not that big. But, I mean, Don't Look Back in Anger, Wonderwall. What was the other one they had? Like Champagne Supernova. Champagne Supernova. I mean, that was like I was clubbing, and that that shit would come on. I'd be like, eh. so are you familiar with like their story about how they were supposed to be like the biggest band in the world, and they just uh, kind of fell apart? Kind of. They were assholes, right? Like I remember like them being like they were very contentious, yeah. and and but also uh, Liam and Noel, the two main guys in the band, the brothers, just did not get along and like had a bunch of resentment. ever. Yeah. Like I remember like one of them is spitting at the other or something at some point. Yeah, yeah. They just never got along, but it's this really, really, really well-made, uh, rock doc about the history of their band. Um, it was put together by the same people that did, uh, that Amy Winehouse documentary that got a bunch Ooh, of praise. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's really fascinating because, you know, most rock docs are talking heads or like mm-hmm. modern interviews which it's modern interviews, but it's all audio interwoven with the timeline of live footage and like footage that's never been released of when they were recording fucking uh, what's the story morning glory and all that. And that kind of sounds like the Amy documentary. It was a little bit like that too. So yeah, it it was just really well made and uh, not too much that I didn't already know, but still when you see the visual of like the crowds they were drawing and stuff, it's just kind of mind blowing because there there were comparisons like hey it's the next Beatles and Beatles that shit. I remember and, yeah um, and also one like when they were on their music was just great but also what it kind of I don't know if it meant to make this statement but just kind of like 
how music isn't that way anymore in terms of fans, you know, being tribal about bands and like about how it's so much easier just to be into music now, whereas back in, you know, our upbringing, you had to go out of your way to find music. <laughs> back in the and, 90s. Yeah, I mean, as, yeah. as silly as it sounds. But... Did you ever hear the, the dance version of Wonderwall? No, it's not good. But <laughs> but if you were at the club and you were like dancing and you're like, okay, I'll take it. <laughs> you know, this is the why only not? way. This is the only way I'm gonna dance to Wonderwall. So why not? And secondly, and the only reason I'm plugging this is, uh, well, one, it was one of the most exciting experiences I've had watching anything in the past five years. Um, the you know, there's like WWE wrestling, right? Right. So in Japan, there's a promotion called New Japan Pro Wrestling. And they have an annual event every January 4th called Wrestle Kingdom, which is basically like WrestleMania for Japan. And it airs live over here, uh, and they have, like, a network and everything online. But, of course, it's in Japan, so it airs, like, fucking 3 in the morning. And the main event was a gentleman by the name of Kazuchika Okada versus Kenny Omega set the internet on fire. And, like, I will never forget the experience of watching that match live because it was the middle of the night. I was fucking hammered, and it was just, like... <laughs> Unbelievable fun. It's on YouTube, so I'll send you the link to put to the link on this. Was this over the holidays or after New Year? Uh, January 4th. Okay. It's truly like the type of thing where if no one's ever seen wrestling in their life and want to know like why I like it, I would say watch this like, and you'll get it. Uh, but the reason I bring it up is because Dave Meltzer, who's like the most famous pro wrestling journalist in the world, said the next day on Twitter, anyone who didn't like that match is a contrarian. <laughs> and i was like ah it's what i live to be but i loved it so but yeah it's a, it's online for free so we'll put the link up but yeah yeah send me the link so i don't have to google it <laughs> yeah no well you can watch it too it's it's amazing but yeah it's one of my many wrestling plugs on here but Julio? uh that's cool uh speaking of documentaries i've actually watched a lot of they're not all documentaries they're all like real life based let's forget about the fact that i watch fucking assassin's creed which mm. is like assassin's shit, really. Zing, zing. Yeah, no, it's like the biggest zing is that that movie exists. It's just not good. Uh, but but okay. So Sunday, I watched Jackie with Natalie Portman, and I don't know what uh, Jackie Kennedy sounded like, you know. So, but I'm assuming that Natalie Portman is doing it doing her justice. But the movie is good. So that it's was like. Uh... Daniel Day's Lincoln. We don't really have anything to compare it to. Right. I'm going to take your word for it. You know, <laughs> I mean, there is like, apparently there she the video that aired, you know, on TV about like what she was giving a tour of the White House. So I'm assuming that there's some reference that she used. It's good, though. It's so good. It's it's really good. It's it's harsh, you know, because it's basically the whole thing is like the aftermath of JFK's death. Oh, and, really? Uh, that our boy Peter Sarsgaard is in it. He's Bobby Kennedy, and I was so happy when I saw him come on. God bless him. Yeah, he's he's just he's great. He's not like one of the main players, but he has enough. He's like the four scenes that drama had in the Entourage <laughs> movie. He has them in the, in Jackie. Victory. <laughs> yeah, he's he's so good, always reliable. Uh, and of course, the Zodiac Killer plays uh, Lyndon Johnson. Uh, you know, Drew Carey's brother from the Drew Carey Show. He's the Zodiac Killer in the movie Zodiac. Uh, he's an actor that's like in everything. Paul Carey? No. <laughs> I can't remember. Uh, John Carroll Lynch, maybe? What else is he in? Everything, but I can't tell you right now because, of course, I can't think of it. But, okay. But you've seen Zodiac. No. 
Oh no! It's the one uh, Fincher movie that I've owned and I've never watched. <laughs> that was me for a long time. Okay, it's like three hours, so I don't blame That's you. That's why. Yeah, it's an investment. But anyway, he plays LBJ and he's there for like a little bit. But anyway, the movie's good. Uh, then I watched. Uh, I am about halfway through the OJ documentary, OJ Made in America. It was mm-hmm. like part of the ESPN thirty for thirty or thirty by thirty series. I don't know. I'm not like an ESPN fan, but everybody's been talking about this movie because uh, they're like, there's a big ar- argument of like, is it TV or is it a movie? It doesn't matter. It's good. You know, it's just, uh, it starts with OJ's career as a football player and he goes all the way to like, you know, now. And so I'm halfway through it. There, he's He just killed, <laughs> allegedly, <laughs> he just killed Nicole. Nicole Simpson. Right. You know, they're like, the trial hasn't started yet, but it's just, it's so well-researched and so thorough about everything. And, of course, it's not just about O.J. Simpson, but it's about race in America and, like, you know, what made him different. I do have to interject because um, on that, it's nothing like this, but there is another 30 for 30. It's Uh called uh, June seventeenth, 1994. That's the name of it. Uh Uh, And that's the day the police chase happened, that they went after him. But also a couple other significant sporting events happened that day. Uh, The World Cup was in America, and, like, Bill Clinton was there to kick it off. Um not literally. Uh, <laughs> it was Arnold Palmer's last Masters tour. So the thirty for thirty, it's an hour long of all of the television from that day, like woven together. That is amazing. Yeah, it's That's on really Netflix cool. too. So okay, cool. Yeah. yeah, well, this is on Hulu. The the I mean, Jackie's in theaters. Uh, the OJ Made America is on Hulu. It's three parts. It's fucking like over eight hours long, I which really is why it, I'm halfway yeah. through. But it's so worth it, uh, especially once you get to the the nitty gritty. You know, mm-hmm. like the first part, the first three hours, it's just him as an athlete until he retires. Yeah, meets Nicole and he retires, and then the second set of three hours is just you know what happened, you know the the trial and all stuff. And I watched uh, the People versus OJ Simpson on FX, and that was I had a blast with Cuba. With Cuba. Cuba, David Schwimmer, again, bringing back David Schwimmer. Right. He plays uh, uh, the uh, – what's the name of the guy with the white stripe of hair? And his daughters are famous. Kardashian. He he, he oh. plays a Kardashian guy. Okay. Yeah. So he's a – the way I described him, the guy with the white stripe. Like, <laughs> Rogue? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, so that documentary, I haven't even finished it, but I can tell you it's well worth the investment of like almost nine hours. Then I watched uh, – well – I'll finish with the la- the the best one. But today, before I watched Assassin's Creed, the way that the reason it wasn't like complete waste of time uh, going to movies is because we watched two movies. And before that, we watched Hidden Figures, which is uh, about African American mathematicians working in NASA, which are like you know huh. the untold stories, you know, because you, you know keeping track with like the entourage theme of white men getting all the cred. You know, this is like the women that were doing the math before the an IBM computer was brought into NASA. They were. Uh, it's funny because they call them computers, and you know, half the movie I'm thinking, oh, they're calling them computers as a nickname, as in like if I called you a computer because you're really good at math. Yeah. And then I realized, oh no, they're calling them computers because computers did not exist back then. They're just like doing computations. You know, they're computing numbers, so they oh, call them computers. Awesome. I know. And uh, and then of course a computer comes in and they they need to learn to deal with that and also just the fact that they're not getting any credit for all the math that they're doing. It's just like the white men at the top they're getting the credit. Oh wow. Uh, it's really good. It has, uh, I know, Octavia Spencer is in it, and then uh, the lady that was in uh, in Smoking Aces, not Alicia Keys, but her lover. Okay. Uh, she's in it. She's the main character, basically. 
And then another actress that I've seen in Moonlight this year. She's really good. Anyway, the three of them are really good. Uh, Kevin Costner's in it. Uh, Kirsten Dunst is in it. If you need like your more established movie stars, yeah. <laughs> but it was just so good. It was like crowd pleasing as all hell, nice. you know, because it was just like, oh, this is such a good story about like people that started with nothing and then they overcome race, they overcome like all these prejudice prejudices and. Uh, uh, but it was also so fucking timely, and it's almost sad to say that. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's it, it just to show that, you know, because it's this back in the day when, like, black people could not use the same bathrooms as, you know, white people. And one of the things in the movie is that she's at this building that's just for white people, but she's there because she's such a genius with math. Mm -hmm. And she has to take a bathroom break, and she has to go all the way to the other side of the campus because that's where the black bathroom was, you know. Horrible. And then Kevin Costner finds out about it, and there's not a spoiler because you see in the you see it in the trailer. But when Costner finally finds out, he chews her out. He's like, "Why the fuck do you take forty minute bathroom breaks?" And she's like, "Cause I can't go to the bathroom here." <laughs> and he finds out, and then he takes a hammer to the to the sign that said "Color Restrooms" and nice. knocks it down. And it's just so fucking inspirational. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, "Make America great again," but this way. <laughs> um, and then to close this documentary, which both of us are too young to have experienced this, but you grew up here, right? Like, have you? How long have you lived in Austin? In Austin? Yeah. Uh, I moved here originally in two thousand and two. Okay, but you were out of high school by then. No. No, I don't know. I can't do the math. Yeah, I graduated high school in no. Five. I don't know, but how familiar are you with like the 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 mythology of the uh, UT shooter, the guy that climbed the tower and was shooting people from the tower? He killed Jack Scagnetti's mother. <laughs> Bravo, sir! <laughs> like, but there's this documentary called Tower, mm -hmm. uh, and it's available on iTunes, and it's just it's basically about the the UT shooter. And it's so fucking good. I wouldn't want to say anything to spoil it for you because it's, you know. A, but, but I've watched it's, and read quite a bit on that case, so I'm fairly familiar with right. it. Right. What it does is it takes the uh, uh, statements, you know, from the survivors. And it does its mix of live action with animation. So it does a lot of animation to just show you how the survivors were back then when the shooting took place. And... Uh, but it builds up to where you get to see them how they look now and it's just that effect is so powerful and what they have to say about the shooting and everything it, it's just so good uh, I watched it a couple nights ago and it was just it might be my favorite movie of 2016 I, I haven't like finished doing my list yet it's called Tower Tower it's just Tower you can get it on iTunes and uh, it's so good and you know I've lived in Austin for like over six years now I think seven now and I know about the UT shooter I mean it's like everybody that moves here kind of like learns about it but this of course has like more detail in it and I was watching it with my girlfriend and she's lived in Austin her whole life so she's like she knows all the details but it was still such a like fresh point of view to the whole thing you know and and again going back to the inspirational theme I mean it's just because you get to hear about the people that were shot and the people that came out to help them you know yeah. and it was like what does it take for a human being to go and risk their lives to, to put a stop to this or to help people that were harmed by it? So it's it's really awesome. And where did we all lose that compassion that seems to be gone? <laughs> Outside of that, don't watch Bad Moms or Neighbors 2. Those are two movies I watched this week that were both very bad. That is such a bummer because I really like The First Neighbors. Oh, the First Neighbors is great. The second one, not so much. Really? Yeah. Um, I have the DVD at home. I haven't watched it yet. 
Oh. Can wait. Can I wait. mean, you'll have a couple chuckles, but yeah. Um, outside of that, anything else you got to add, Julio? No, just uh, give props to the festive years. Uh, don't let me use you. Opens the show, summer of 1999. Closes the show. Uh, don't let me use you. Is the name of the album. I'm an idiot. Last stand opens the show. There you go. <laughs> summer of 1999 closes the show. They're a great band. We love them. Questions, comments, concerns, gripes. We uh, are the contrarians at gmail.com. Yeah. If you are a hardcore entourage fan that doesn't understand why we're a little disgusted by uh, how the guys behave or talk about women, let us hear it. Drop us a line. But if you're a woman that's offended by the entourage <laughs> movie and don't understand why we laughed at some of the stuff, also drop us a line. But for the immediate, that's going to do it for us here on The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. The summer of 11 minutes here and uh, this is much longer than I initially intended to speak for it so uh, you know going back to how I started I would I would give this movie a 50 I think of